get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Tarasenko gets the line on site. Cuts to the middle. Shoots. Scores! A dazzling highlight reel goal for Vladimir Tarasenko. Kings get it back to Anderson. It deflects away. And he tried to spring Tarasenko. Breakaway. He's in. He shoots. He scores! Peron will chip it out. That's going to angle to the goal and go in. An empty net goal for David Peron, who just chucked it off the glass. 10 feet inside his own zone. It goes into the net. That'll do it. Bring out the Zamboni. A franchise record. Five straight wins to open up the season for the St. Louis Blues. Your first place Blues are on fire. Yes, they are. That was Chris Kerber on the call last night. You're home for the Blues right here on 101 ESPN with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. The Blues have set a franchise record, five straight wins to open up the season. The first time they've done that in the history of the franchise. Alex, I'm going to open things up to you. What did you think last night as you were watching your St. Louis Blues? Man, uh, they, they find a way to surprise me every single night. Whether it's they're put seven up on the Colorado Avalanche or they're winning a 3-1 game against the Golden Knights and coming from behind. Or they got a game that last year probably would have swallowed them whole. Where they were putting shots on, they had, what was it, 18 shots in the first period and nothing got past Jonathan Quick. The last year Blues, after that first period, would have been just distraught. Yeah, they would have dropped their heads and just been like, man, what are we going to do here? But not this team. They came out in the second period, and, I mean, they got hosed in the second period. Like, L.A. was all over them. Huso stopped them, and then they finally got that momentum back at the end of the second period. You get into the third period, and Vladdy Tarasenko takes over. That was as impressive of a victory for me that the Blues have had all season. And I know it's still a depleted Kings team. I think the naysayers are going to have to see what happens on Thursday. But, man, not only setting a franchise record and starts – of the season at 5-0, and scoring the most goals in franchise history in the first five games with 25. You're one of four undefeated teams now with Florida, Edmonton, and I believe Carolina is the other one. So there's one yes. in every division, but it's every aspect of the game. Forwards are scoring, defensemen. I know, T-Bone, you've hated the fact that the defense is so bad. You've talked about it so much. Well, defensemen's showing you up, and then they're goaltender. The questions of Vili Huso, well, they were shut down last night as well. Never had a doubt in my boy Huso. That's Me true. I, I, I was always I literally said yesterday, shut out for Huso, and all I heard from Ferrario between breaks was, Every goal Huso gives up, I'm going to make an open for you. Nah. Just being all na- all positive on Huso and it not working. He looked great last night. The whole team did. I think we bench Bennington now. 
Okay. Oh, let's, okay. let's relax. Uh, okay. Let's relax. I mean, he is the only one with the last two blue shutouts. Easy. That, that is true. He, he had the only the one last year, right? Yeah, he Russo was the, was the last only one, one to get one and the then the game. first one. Mm-hmm. So the Blues are winning in multiple ways right now. And that's what's so impressive to me, Alex, is it, it's... It, it reminds me of when the Cardinals started winning in multiple ways. It was like, oh, you you can win by scoring a bunch of runs. You can win one nothing. Okay, this is different. This is something that I can latch on to. It's the same thing for the Blues right now, man. They won seven to three against LA, and then they come back around and they win three nothing despite not scoring in the first two periods of that game. First time all year, if I'm not mistaken, that they didn't score in the first two periods. That looked different. And the other thing is. For the first time this year, at least from what I've noticed, Alex, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. You saw Barubi shorten up the lines. Mm -hmm. He only threw out three lines there for a little while. Yep. And that was different than what we had seen previously this year. Uh, The PK was outstanding last night. I mean, from top to bottom, the Blues just played a really clean, crisp game defensively. And you add in what you saw offensively in the third period with the Vladimir Tarasenko comeback tour. Man, this team is really good. Yeah, I know we've said it, but I think we need to continue to repeat saying it because if there is anybody that has not jumped on the bandwagon or is that or that is hesitant because when you played Colorado, they were without two of their big guns. When you played Vegas, they were without their two best players when you played LA they're just not a great team right now and same thing for Arizona I don't care who it's happening against when you're 5-0 and and you've played the way that the Blues have you're beating up on teams the way that you should and then some this is what a championship hockey team should look like early in the season yeah we got a text on the air comfort service text line 65780 Alex do you think the Blues are going to start getting more respect nationally after the start to the season well we're going to find out one o'clock Dan Rosen of NHL.com and I wanted him on because he put an article out earlier yesterday of the final four undefeated teams who's going to be the last one standing and Dan said the St. Louis Blues they have all of the makings of a cup contender this year and what really sold me last night is what you mentioned, BK. You're spot on. They shortened the bench. Clint Costin had one shift in the third period. He played like seven and a half minutes, I think, total last night. Jake Neighbors had one shift in the third period last night. Tyler Bozak was the one that they accelerated to be kind of that last guy in to rotation with the top three lines. That was a identity of Craig Berube saying, hey, you guys have done great. And he even said a post game. There was nothing wrong with Costin or Neighbors game. We needed our leaders. We needed our veterans to come through and to get that confidence. And they did that. And the problem that other teams are going to run into about this Blues team is the fact that, yeah, we'll stop Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. Yeah, we'll shut down Buchnevich and Jordan Cairo. But what the hell are we going to do when our third pairing has to go up against Vladimir Tarasenko, who's playing like the guy who scored 45 goals in a season? It's so funny, man, because it, the guy who's out right now was on this team last year, but it reminds me a little bit of going up against the Avalanche last year. It was yeah. like, yeah, you can stop there. You can slow down their top line, rather. But what about their second and third lines where they just continue coming at you wave after wave after wave? And eventually it's exhausting. You're like, man, we've been doing this for 50 minutes and then boom the final 10 minutes comes and you just don't have enough there left in the tank you you just can't defend that long and that's what it was like last night eventually the dam broke and there was just no way for the kings to continue withstanding all of that that was coming at him again in that game and that's the other thing 
as much as we bring up the top guys that have been out on other teams, I don't think it's brought up enough that the Blues have been without two of their top six forwards, at least for two games there. And then last night, once again, without Brandon Saad, this is not the Blues at whole. You don't have Oscar Sundquist out there. Last night, you didn't have Brandon Saad just yet. Buchnevich missed two games. I mean, for 60% of this year, you've been without the guy that was brought in to be a premier goal scorer for you who's going to be on your top line moving forward. So imagine this team, but a little better. That's what they could be at full strength. I mean, this this is this is as impressed as I've been with a start to a season since I've been here in St. Louis. And I know your your blues coverage predates even that. Mine goes back, what, seven years now? This is as good as it gets. Well, and I'm glad you brought up the Colorado Avalanche of last year. And frankly, that's what's frustrated me of the fact that people aren't giving this Blues team more credit and being a cup contender because everyone was saying Colorado was going to win it last year because of how deep their roster was. They had four lines that could go up against you. The Blues, in my opinion, have a better forward group than what Colorado had last year. And I'm saying that with the understanding that they have one of the best players in the game today in Nathan McKinnon on top of Ranton and Landeskog. I don't care because the Blues have four lines that not only can beat you offensively, but can beat you defensively. JR put a tweet out. who's going to join us at 1130 today. The Blues last night did something that they haven't done since they won the cup. When they get hemmed into the offensive zone and they don't have anything going for them last season, the year prior in the bubble, they would just dump the puck and they'd go for a line shift. They're not doing that anymore. They're dumping the puck in. They're going after it. There were multiple occasions in the second and third period last night, BK, where the Blues had the puck in the offensive zone behind the Kings net, and they had two of their forwards go off on a line change while the other one was fighting for the puck. The two guys got on. They had a clear line shift change with the puck in the offensive zone. That's shades of a Stanley Cup championship team because they know when and where to take advantage of the opponent. Everything is clicking on all cylinders. Is there going to be a drop off? Absolutely, because this is not going to be an 82 yeah, They're going to lose 0. at some point. <laughs> they're going to lose. They're going to. I know it's not going to be 82 and 0, T Bone. They're going to go through a cold streak. Injuries might pop up. But I feel like the system and the players that they have in place right now, they understand what needs to be done. And frankly, after watching that performance, Thursday will be a telling sign. But that performance right there solidified how good this team truly can be. I mean, so what do you want me to talk about? The the fact that they're first in goals per game, second in power play percentage, first in penalty kill percentage, fourth in goals allowed per game, fifth in save percentage so far this season. They're top five in every single statistical category so far. I know it's five games. It's very early in the season. And as you you said they're going to go through a slump they're going to go through five games where suddenly instead of shooting at like a 25% clip on their power play unit it's going to be a 5% clip and it's going to look worse and you're going to be like ah man remember early on in the season when the power play was really clicking there's going to be times like that but because they're able to pick themselves up in so many different areas because you have that power play that's working maybe that goes down for a little bit but then the pk continues playing at the level that it is right now maybe five on five that starts coming down but the uh the special teams are able to bring you up you have so many different fail safes for this specific team that depth plays into it the goaltending has played into it everybody buying into the system it seems like they're all pulling the rope in the same direction i know that's a cliche but it didn't feel like that was always the case last year this is a totally different team than what we've seen at any point since the beginning of the pandemic 
in what 2019 now yep. so year and a half it's been a year and a half since we've seen the blues play this way yep. almost exactly a year and a half since march of 2019 we haven't seen anything resembling the game that we've seen so far this year really yep. even over a five game stretch I don't think there's been a five-game stretch that's been as impressive as what we've seen so far. And I'm done with the narrative because I already saw a text that said the defense still stinks, Krug has to go. You all are insane. I mean, the defense has actually played better than I expected them to this season. It's been solid. Especially last night. That was Justin Falk's best game as a St. Louis Blue last night, and that's saying something because he was one of their better defensemen last season. Colton Pareko looked like the healthy Colton Pareko we all expected him to be. Scandella looked good, and Tory Krug got another assist. He's got assists in four of his last five games. Right now, they're clicking on all cylinders, and it's hard to find a weak spot on this team. Blues are back in action coming up on Thursday night. That's a big one. Blues versus Avalanche. Pre-game coverage with Alex Ferrario beginning Thursday at 6 o'clock, and this this weekend, the Blues are expected to play the Blackhawks. Uh, they're have going through their list? COVID issues. They have five players in COVID protocols right now and three coaches. So we'll keep you updated on what the status of that game Everything's will be. Everything's fine. The game's going to be played. It's 11.15. Yeah, time check like brought to you by Clarkson forwards. Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We'll continue talking about the Blues with Jeremy Rutherford coming up at 11.30. We've got lots of talk in the 12 o'clock hour as well on Vladimir Tarasenko because, whoo, buddy, did he look good last night. Have you shifted at all on whether or not it's necessary for the Blues to keep him long term? We'll talk about that coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. But next, Ali Marmol was on with us earlier today on the Danny Mac Show. You're going to want to hear what he had to say about Yadier Molina's final year how he's going to implement analytics and why it is important to make sure that you balance that with the human element and something that he said about matchups and platoons that perked my ears a little bit. We'll talk about it all coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Pleasure to talk with Oliver Marmol, the new Cardinals manager. I got to be honest, man. I'm in. I'm in. He's convinced me. I He's super likable. He's thoughtful. He's interesting. I have no idea if he's going to be a good manager or not at the major league level. I hope he is, but I'm not sure. I think he's going to be roughly as good as his players are, but it's up to him to maximize what those players are able to do. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. I did want to play a few of the uh, more interesting quotes that he gave us earlier today on the Danny Mac show. And if you missed any of it, be sure to check out the full interview. I do think it's worth your time at 101ESPN.com and on the free 101ESPN app. Alex, he was asked earlier today by Dan about uh, making sure that Yachty is able to accomplish all of the goals, all of the things that he aspires to do in his final year in the big leagues, but also balancing that with making sure that you're not just playing this season as um, one last hurrah for Yachty, but making sure that you have the end goal in mind of making the playoffs and winning a World Series. Here's what Ali Marmol had to say about the difficulty of balancing those two uh, this year. I want to be able to continue to push him to make sure that he accomplishes all of that. And at the end of the day, when you talk about his final year, and um, man, I'd be damned if it doesn't end with the World Series. That's just That has to be part of his story, and we're going to work really hard towards that. But when it comes to balancing his playing time and certain things with stadiums, like you just mentioned, we'll be collaborative in that and make sure that we're on the same page. And um, and that's something that I'm looking forward to, for sure. Hell yeah, Ollie. That's what we <laughs> want to hear. 
look, hearing him say those words, it, it got me a little bit more excited about this. And I'm in the camp of I want to see him this season. I want to see the managerial style and, and how he impacts this lo- this clubhouse. But hearing him say that, he's got the right goal in mind. It's not a matter of, oh, we're just going to carry over what we've been doing and continue to look for success. No, it's World Series bound. I'll be damned if we're not there. And you're doing it for that player. If you don't think that rallies up guys like Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Adam Wainwright, who's probably in the same category with Yachty, uh, Harrison Bader, Carlson, go through the list. If that doesn't fire those guys up with the new manager saying that, you're just you're incorrect. It means very little this time of year to talk about World Series aspirations. But for us, it means everything. And I do think that it sets the tone, right? It sets the tone for what the expectations are for that team. And there are a lot of teams around baseball that right now, when they talk about winning a World Series, you roll your eyes. You're like, okay, yeah, sweet. You're zero yeah, and zero. Right, Royals. <laughs> yeah, okay, <laughs> exactly. Pirates. Yeah, when those teams mention it, it's totally fair to have that kind of a response. When the Cardinals mention it, it's like, damn straight, that should be the goal. And this offseason, they need to make sure that they do everything in their power, whether that be with the manager's job or the coaches or the front office bringing in the players that are necessary. The goal should be next year winning the World Series. Full stop. And I think that that has not necessarily been a realistic, attainable goal for the Cardinals, really for like a four, five year stretch there from like 2016 ish to 2020. I'm not sure going into any given season, it was totally realistic for us to say this team can win a World Series. I felt like this year, given the path and given some of the other teams coming back to the Cardinals, it was once we got to the playoffs. But next year, it needs to be like not at the end of the year, at the beginning of the season. We need to go in thinking that's a realistically attainable goal. And so when I heard Ollie Marmol say that earlier today, I was like, yeah, it's exactly what I wanted to hear when he's asked a question about Yachty, because we've been saying that. That needs to be the expectation for Yachty and Wayno in their final years to put a winner around them. So I loved hearing that from Ollie, but it's not just that. It's also about the way that he's going to incorporate other information, right? And so you hear the word analytics and it becomes the boogeyman because this is the word that's trying to steal our great game away from us. It's changing everything that is the game of baseball that we've been watching for 100 plus years. Well, Ollie, I thought, put it about it as well as anybody possibly can when he was asked about how he's going to balance using the analytics, using the numbers with using his gut slash the human element. Here's what he said about that topic that I think sometimes gets a little bit skewed, like, oh, old school versus new school and analytics. It's for me, it's it's a perfect balance. When you say analytics, all I'm hearing is information, like taking in all the information, figuring out what's actionable, what, what what's actually going to move the needle once we're on the field, um, and making sure that th- there's times, Dan, and, and you've seen enough games where you make the right decision, you, you put the people in place to, to have success, and it doesn't work out. And there's times where you make a bad decision, your players just overcome your bad decision, and it works out, right? So, like, for me, some of the analytics is also post-game is figuring out what decisions were made that went well, what decisions were made that didn't go well, um, and then figuring out what's sustainable over 162 games when it comes to those decisions. 
I really appreciate the fact that he dove into that and, and kind of opened it up with, you know, the the misconception of, oh, well, analytics, old school versus new school, because I've fallen into that camp because I hear the analytics and I don't hear information. Yeah. I'm thinking, oh, well, the old school Tony LaRusa gut feel compared to this guy who's going off of all of these numbers and equations of why this is the right decision. And, and him opening up about that shows me a little bit of a peek behind the curtain of how Ali Marmol works in this scenario. It's not so much of, oh, well, the front office is the analytics department says that Tyler O'Neill's WHR plus minus percentage <laughs> is going to work in this uh, a certain situation. So we're going to use him here rather than my gut feel. And there is some of that. To be clear. There is some of that, but that's goes that goes into the misconception we talked about yesterday of Ali Marmol being a puppet. Him talking there did not give me the feel of a guy who's just going off of what Mo tells him to do. It does make me feel like this guy's very educated in what he what he knows needs to happen in a game, in a scenario, and the fact that he kind of gave you a peek behind the curtain. It makes me feel a lot more confident in Ali Marmal taking over in this role rather than what I was before all of this. So let's think about this from our jobs, right? Like, let's peel back the curtain a little bit for our audience. Our highest rated hour is the 12 o'clock hour. So when we have great content, we should throw it into the 12 o'clock hour because that's when the most number of people are going to be listening to us, right? Uh, We have a a consultant that comes in, and he asks us all the time, why do you have back-to-back interviews? People want to hear you. People want to hear you react to things. Why are you having back-to-back interviews? See, what do we do? We don't have back-to-back interviews as often. And so this is kind of his version of that. When he makes decisions in games, his version of us finding out what the ratings are and applying that to our decision-making moving forward is him going to the analytics department and saying, hey, was that the right decision in that moment? And if I made that decision a hundred times over the course of the season, would it be better for us? Or in one game, it didn't cost us, but over the long haul, that's actually a bad decision that is eventually going to cost us games. That's why this information is useful. It's not just about the WRC plus and um, all of the, the alphabet soup that can get lost sometimes when we're talking about some of these numbers. I hate alphabet soup. It's, it's also about finding the decision-making processes finding out what is working and what is not working and making sure even if it is a bad result, good processes sometimes lead to bad results. If you can do that over time, you should lead to more good results than you do bad results. And I think that's what Ollie's getting at there. And I'm so glad that we heard him put it that way. He also said something, speaking of the numbers, that spoke to my heart. And it's something that I've been hoping that the Cardinals would implement more often. Hey, Ollie, are you going to use more matchups and platoon-based lineups this year? You're, you're constantly figuring out the best way and, and intentional ways to have those conversations and they're tough conversations. But at the end of the day, that is the job is to create a culture where the player understands that you do have their best interests at heart, but you also have a responsibility to the team. And um, there will be conversations that take place where there will be some platooning and there will be some things that sometimes you're hitting first, sometimes you're hitting eighth, whatever the case may be. But it, it's going to be in the spirit of all of it is this is what's best for us to be able to get a W today. That is so like that just in my heart is just beating out of my chest right now because I heard that easy. I know it's such a simple thing to say, and we're going to see how it's actually used over the course of a season because it is a lot easier said than done. But if he is, if he's being honest about, Hey, one day you're going to be batting lead off the next day, you're going to be batting eighth. I mean, there's a name that immediately comes to mind for me. Harrison Bader. Tommy Edmond. Oh. 
Tommy That's Edmond thought of too. <laughs> probably shouldn't be batting leadoff against right-handed pitching. So if you're going to go that route, who is? And that's something that is going to be, this can't just be, this is where that he's talked a lot about collaboration between the front office and the manager, right? This is something that has to be a collaboration between he and the front office. You got to have somebody else that's going to be able to hit up there at the top of the order against right-handed pitching. And right now they don't have that guy. Correct so they got to go out and get one. Correct me if I'm wrong, BK. Um, what did Tommy Edmond do in the world or in the wild card game against a right-handed hitter? He's great. Oh, okay. That was one game. Oh, Remember that gut, thing where we talked about feeling. that was the gut feel. Remember I got that you. thing where we talked about? Hey, over the course of one sixty-two, what's sustainable and what's not? Was this that, is one of those. Was things. that the <laughs> philosophical differences that happened? That <laughs> yeah. was like, hey, stop hitting them against righties. That was one of the things I would imagine. So I, I loved hearing that from Marmol. There was a lot more in the interview. He talks a lot about his past and uh, why giving back is so important to him. Just hearing a little bit more about his story. I thought was important to know about the Cardinals manager. So it's all available. 101 ESPN.com in the free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. Uh, we'll talk more about that throughout the day today. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. We'll get to some questions and answers in about 15 minutes or so, but coming up next, Jeremy Rutherford, our blues insider. Is there any doubt at this point as to whether or not Vladimir Tarasenko has to be moved at some point this year? Could he be staying? We'll talk to JR about it next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's PK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. As you just heard there from Tanner Sports Center update, it has been announced that the Blues have added another player to the COVID list. It is Ryan O'Reilly. We are now going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and the Athletic Jeremy Rutherford. You can follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. JR, this is uh, breaking news. Just came out moments ago. Uh, what do you know about the situation with Ryan O'Reilly? What does this mean for he and the Blues? Yeah, because they just announced in the past couple of minutes, uh, and this is kind of the worry when you have one player go on the COVID list, which the Blues did coming out of the road trip with uh, Brandon Saad. And, you know, the, the team can't predict uh, or, or really say that uh, there won't be another player pop up on the list. You know, we asked uh, the past couple of days if they were worried about that, and they said they felt like they were taking care of everything uh, they can. And, of course, that's what they're doing, uh, but you just can't predict uh, things like this. And now Ryan O'Reilly, the captain of the Blues, joins Brandon Todd on the COVID list. And the big thing here is you just don't know how long he'll be out. So, Jr., I know Craig Berube said on Saturday when asked about Brandon Saad, he said that, you know, there's no update and there's a lot of rules to go through. I was looking through this last night, uh, and I don't know how much you know about this, but it seems that once they get a positive test, then they have to go through the – um, basically, the, 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 the protocol of they do a test to 24 hours and another 24 hours and another 24 hours, and then three straight negatives means they would be out of the protocol situation. But if one positive comes through, then that's the 10-day quarantine. Am I, am I in the ballpark with that? Yeah, that's the way I understand it to be, the 10 days, if there is a positive test. Now, as you mentioned, and we saw that last year with, I believe, Sammy Blay and Zach Sanford, there can be false negatives so, so you can't have a situ false positives excuse me where you have a positive and then they continue to test and you get a couple negatives uh we've seen that already with the teams around the league and, and so that i believe is still a possibility but with this just being released a couple minutes ago 
you know, we don't know what the situation with Ryan O'Reilly is. Of course, he played last night, so I would guess that he hasn't been through multiple tests yet, uh, but we'll just have to wait and see. So, JR, we've got until Thursday to find out exactly what this means for the Blues on the ice and to find out if O'Reilly is playing. But if we operate under the assumption that both he and Saad will be out once again on Thursday night, what would be your expectation on who plays center on that top line with David Perron? Yeah, it's a good uh, question. I, I think um, if you look at what the Blues just did, they called up Dakota Joshua. Last night, Kyle Clifford was their only healthy scratch. So Dakota Joshua, I would assume, would go into the lineup against uh, Colorado, not Kyle Clifford. And then they'd probably just bump Tyler Bozak up, whether he would go uh, with David Braun, you know, I, I'm not quite certain. But I would think uh, at, at any rate, you know, your centers on uh, Thursday are going to be Robert Thomas, Braden Shin, Dakota Joshua, Tyler Bozak. So, JR, this, of course, is a big story that we'll keep an eye on. And, of course, you'll be talking with the head coach uh, after practice this afternoon. And keep it locked to Jeremy's Twitter account at J.P. Rutherford. But, JR, the other big story is what Vladimir Tarasenko not only did last night but has done at the start of this season. I, I think last night with his was his third straight game with five or more shots on goal. He gets two goals last night, nearly gets the hat trick for the Blues. And the question everyone is asking, or was they were asking on postgame last night, is Vladimir Tarasenko going to have a change of heart now that he is around a winning culture? You know, this can change day to day. It really can. And I try, I preface the, my answer by saying that because a lot of times you come out and say, this will not change Vladimir Tarasenko's heart. He still wants to be traded. That's what I wrote in the athletic this morning. I can't guarantee that he won't come out this afternoon or tomorrow or next week and say that he wants to stay. Look, the, the fan reaction last night to him, does he go home and lay down and think about things and say, you know what, maybe it is best if I stay here. I don't know. All I can do is keep up with it week to week, day by day if possible. And from what I'm being told is that he has not had a change of heart. He still would like a trade. He understands the situation that it can take some time. But at this point, he eventually wants to be traded when Doug Armstrong can find the right fit for the organization. Do you think it makes more sense, though, for the organization, seeing how Vladimir Tarasenko is playing to keep him for the remainder of this season? I do, BK. And I understand, you know, you have the possibility of injury. You have the possibility that in in a week, two weeks, three weeks, he's not playing as well, and therefore his uh, stock goes down. Perhaps, perhaps there are teams interested based on what they've seen the past few games, and they're keeping a closer eye on Vladimir Tarasenko. But if I'm the Blues, if I'm Doug Armstrong, even knowing that Vladimir Tarasenko wants to be traded, I don't know that you can get the return for the type of player he can be for you, even at $7.5 million AAV, even if you're paying him $9.5 million in cash this year. We've seen what he's done the past couple of games. He can exploit teams, especially when he's in those third-line matchups. The Blues are so well-balanced up front. Uh, to me, if I'm Doug Armstrong and I want to win this year, and I think I have a really good chance to win this year, to me, this type of Vladimir Tarasenko helps you, and I keep him as long as it makes sense. Well, Jared, the other thing that's going to help this team is having a legit backup goaltender, and a lot of people question Ville Husso as that coming into this season. Oh. Well, you were one of them, BK. <laughs> Tanner was the other. Whoa. Ville gets the last shutout, uh, or the first shutout of the year last year, and of course he gets the first shutout of this year. Are we looking at him growing into the role of a legitimate, capable backup goaltender? 
Yeah, I think so. But the only problem is if he continues to play this way, then uh, I think he's going to want to be a starter in the league, which I'm sure he wants to already. Okay, let's uh, pump the brakes. Op- <laughs> <laughs> that opportunity, that opportunity is going to exist at some point. So yeah, I realized just one game last night, but to me, he looked terrific. I think the growth is there. We saw a goaltender who was trying to figure things out last year, uh, but I definitely think he can be a capable backup. Uh, for the Blues, and obviously looking at uh, becoming a starter in the league is, is a little bit down the road. Uh, but to me, for the price tag, the Blues are getting them. And remember that they're a cap team, so every buck they save, I mean, even if you're paying for a journeyman backup, 35 years old, you can come in and spot start Jordan Bennington, you're looking at $1.2, $1.5 million. They're getting Billy Gusso at seven hundred and fifty grand. I think this is a great situation for the Blues as long as he can play as well. Uh, maybe not a shutout every night, guys. Uh, but uh, play like uh, I think the Blues know he's capable of. JR, do you know how rare it is for Alex to be the one that tells somebody to pump the brakes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I did love I just it. Get uh, break pump by Alex Foley. Well, I, I did see a little bit of Marty Brodeur in net last night for the Blues. <laughs> yeah. Jr. That's that's more like it. We're talking to Jeremy Rutherford, the Blues insider for 101 ESPN and the Athletic. Uh, Jr. I mean, I I don't know how else to ask this question other than can you put in context for us just how un- improbable and impressive this five and zero start has been for the Blues. I mean, it's the first time in 50-plus years, so that tells you what the, the Blues team is able to, to come out and do. Look, I really like the vibe around the team in training camp. I thought the, the practices were up tempo. Alex knows he was out here. The intensity was high. You know, guys were positive. You saw early on that the Tarasenko uh, cloud probably wasn't as big of a distraction as uh, many, including myself, thought it might be. They really put that to rest, and this team just went out the veil and hung out and I think that you know it's early but this is to me one of the closer teams I've seen I think these guys really do care for each other and get along I don't know that that was the case uh, last year and I think this team is playing well as a result of that I I thought that Marco Scandella said something really uh, interesting yesterday and I tweeted about it this team is playing so well without the puck moving through it with with each other supporting each other and I think that's what's led to some good hockey now all that positive stuff said they played a couple teams that got, had guys on the COVID list, suspended. I know you guys have been breaking that down for a week. And now they're in that position with Ryan O'Reilly joining Brandon Saad on the injured list. Can they keep it up? Will their depth prevail? We'll see. They're going to have a challenge here with the captain out. Uh, but to me, it's extremely impressive what they've been able to do thus far. The Blues look to go to 6-0 and on Thursday night against Colorado, continuing their homestand here in St. Louis. That'll be a puck drop at 7. Pre-game coverage with Alex Ferrario begins Thursday at 6 o'clock. Jeremy Rutherford will have all of your coverage over at The Athletic as well. JR, we always appreciate the time, man. Appreciate the update from Blues practice. We'll talk with you again soon. Thanks, Chris. Absolutely. That's Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. Alex, I want to get your impression of this Ryan O'Reilly news, what it means for the Blues in this game against Colorado, what they can prove with him potentially being out for the game against Colorado, and who you would have on that top line as your center. We'll do all of that. Hear from you guys next. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's VK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 
5780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. We'll get to some of your questions here in just a moment, but I've got one for Alex to start things off. If you missed the news earlier, uh, it has been announced by the Blues that Ryan O'Reilly has joined Brandon Saad on the Blues COVID no, list. Oh, God, no! We don't know what this means? Please, no! Could be a false positive? No! No, yes. If oh, he yes, has three yes, straight yes. days and... If we're doing the timing correct, it, it may mean he's available for Thursday. Might. My assumption would be he's not going to be available on Thursday. So if we operate under that assumption, Alex, who do you think would take Ryan O'Reilly's spot on that top line as the center? By the way, the Blues have recalled Dakota Joshua from the AHL, so yeah. he is going to be added to the active roster as well. So so real quick before I give you that answer, I, I looked at this last night for the Brandon Saad scenario. So, so from what I understand, and look, this is just me reading documents, which could be false, there are three COVID possibilities. You got a false positive and the player comes back as soon as day three, which means 24 hour, 24 hour, 24 hours. So if he got the false positive last night, he'd be back on Wednesday. Or if he got it today, he'd be back on Thursday's morning skate. The second scenario is it's a confirmed positive, but the player is vaccinated and he's asymptomatic. That means you can test out with two consecutive negative tests, 24 hours in between. So again, the possibility of Thursday is there. The last one is the one where he tests positive and he's symptomatic. That's the one where they are stuck in isolation for 10 days. So those are the scenarios that you're looking at right now. So there is a possibility this is just a false positive like Sanford and Blay was last year. He could be back on the ice tomorrow or Thursday at the latest, depending on when he tested positive. But if it's 10 days, you're looking at probably October 31st for Ryan O'Reilly. More than oh, that. I'm sorry, that would be Brandon Sott. Ryan yeah. O'Reilly would be much longer than that. Yeah, Ryan O'Reilly, if it's 10 days, he would miss the next four games. So Colorado, Chicago, yeah. L.A., and San Jose, he might be able to rejoin the team uh, prior to the game on November 7th against Anaheim. That would be the potentially worst-case scenario. I, I hate saying that because we just don't know. But yeah. um, in terms of the timeline, that has been the case for the majority of these it would be about four games that you're expecting to miss without Ryan, uh, yeah. Ryan O'Reilly. And we'll find out what Craig Berube says. I guarantee he's not going to give you say, any information. So it's just a matter of when we saw was not on the ice again today, which leads me to believe he is in the 10 day quarantine situation because it's been a while since we've seen him. You'll get a good answer of Ryan O'Reilly. If you see him on the ice tomorrow or Thursday. Now to answer your question, what I would do is exactly what Jr. said. Tyler Bozak goes in, plays that top line. That's why you kept Bozak here, because he is a guy who could play on your first line, your second line, your third line, your fourth line, wing, center, doesn't matter. I would put Dakota Joshua in on my fourth line. Kyle Clifford would be my healthy scratch. Tyler Bozak can play with David Perron and Clem Costin. He's played with Clem Costin already this season multiple times, but I'm not going to view that as my number one line. I think it shifts a little bit. My number one line now becomes Shen Buchnevich and Jordan Cairo. And then you have Tarasenko Thomas and Ivan Barbashev. And it wouldn't surprise me if Ivan Barbashev gets a shot up there because the one thing you're missing in this game on Thursday is a defensive-minded forward. Shen can be that, but you do have Jordan Cairo on that line who's a little bit more offensively inclined. So my gut says Tyler Bozak will play there, but I wouldn't be surprised if Ivan Barbashev gets a shot. It's a good test for the Blues. I mean, I, obviously good. you wish that it didn't happen. That that's That I hope goes without saying. But since it has... We've talked so far through the first five games about other teams not being at full strength against the Blues and how maybe that makes it more difficult to really judge where this Blues team is right now. Well, now it's the opposite. You're about to go against what is at least close to, if not at full strength, Colorado. And 
you are going to be without two top six forwards likely in this game against Colorado. Again, we're going to find out. We've we've touted the depth of the Blues all year long, and yep. we knew there were going to be injuries. There were going to be COVID issues. This is what we signed up for with the 2021 season. Now we get to find out what it looks like with the Blues missing almost inarguably one of the, their most valuable players. And I do think it's very notable for me to mention every Blues player is fully vaccinated. So there's yep. no concern of them not having any vaccines. There's only or, one more player in the league. Tyler Bertuzzo uh, is the Bertuzzi. last guy. Yeah. Bertuzzi is the last guy, I believe, yeah. that is uh, completely unvaccinated. Yeah. So Blues are fully and vaccinated. What was, what was Kane's card? Was it legit or not? No, yeah. His was a fake card. So we don't know about He's him. He's not playing, though. Yeah, he's out for like oh, 20 yeah, games. Right. And frankly, the Sharks aren't even going to want him back. So... Yeah, so that's that's where we stand right now. That's where the Blues are. Uh, if you missed it, the news is Ryan O'Reilly has joined Brandon Saad on the COVID list. The expectation, at least for me, is that both are probably going to miss up Thursday's game, and we'll see from there. But it's possible Brandon Saad and Ryan O'Reilly miss the next couple of games. Saad may be back early next week. Ryan O'Reilly, if it is the 10 days, could be back after about four games missed. So that's where we're at. That's where the Blues stand today. Uh, with their COVID issues. With Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 11.59. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. In about 15 minutes or so, I've got a question for you, Alex. Could Ollie Marmol become this Cardinals team's version of Alex Coro? I'll explain what I mean by that in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, Mitch Harris was the second military officer ever to play in Major League Baseball. He played for the Cardinals back in the mid-2010s. He was also one of the first players to play underneath uh, Ali Marmol as a manager. Harris was 27. Marmol was 26 when he managed him down in the minors. We'll talk to Mitch Harris about what he saw from Ali Marmol as a manager when he joins us next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. And the news of the last couple of days for the Cardinals is that Oliver Marmol has been named the next manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. If you missed it, we were able to catch up with him earlier today on the Danny Mac show. The full podcast of that interview is on the 101 ESPN app and 101ESPN.com. Speaking of Ollie Marmol, he was Mitch Harris's manager in Mitch's first year in the minor leagues back in 2013. At the time, Mitch was 27 and Marmol was 26 as the manager. So he was actually older than his manager at the time. And we were very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by Mitch Harris, the former Cardinals pitcher here on 101 ESPN. Mitch, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks so much for hopping on with us. What was your reaction when you heard that your minor league manager is now the manager of the Cardinals? Man, I was super pumped for him. Uh, couldn't have him to <clears throat> a better person. Ollie's a great guy. Uh, he's going to be a great, uh, great uh, asset for the organization. Mitch, what what gets me about Ali Marmol in this role is what you tweeted out the other day when he was announced as the manager. You said you were his player. He was the manager during your time with the Cardinals. You were 27. He was 26. It's got to be an impactful individual who can be a manager in, in pro baseball for guys that are older than him. Yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely challenges there, but I think uh, someone like himself who who understands his place, understands how to lead people, 
Um, I mean, the, the guys in the clubhouse are going to respect that. Um, you know, I, I, I know he's, he's, you know, there's definitely a boundary there between, you know, you know, taking leadership, but also trying to get the guys to, to, to kind of move in one position or, or one direction. And, um, you know, having, having, you know, veterans like, like Yachty and Wayno and, and guys like that in the clubhouse, I mean, those guys are essentially coaches on the field anyway. So having, having someone like that uh, where Ollie can come in uh, and kind of just point in the direction they need to go uh, is going to be uh, outstanding. Mitch, what was Ollie like, uh, other than just being a great guy, of course, but what was Ollie like as a manager back in 2013? And did you know at that point in time that he was on an upward trajectory? Yeah, you could definitely see it. You know, I, I didn't think there's anybody who, who came close to me in terms of uh, competitiveness. Uh, Ollie, Ollie's definitely one of them. And uh, you saw that uh, even in his fungos before the game uh, in, in minor league play. It was, it was always trying to get it past the infielders, uh, but, but challenge them at the same time, uh, even, even uh, making some of our, us, us pitchers uh, hit ground balls just to, uh, for him to get back on the field, kind of show the middle infielders that he had it. Um, and challenging them to get better. Uh, he's that type of guy. He's always going to push you, always going to make sure that you don't settle for, for anything less than greatness. And so I think having someone like that who can do that for years to come is going to be uh, so great for uh, the Cardinals organization. Mitch, having a manager is all about having somebody who can lead a group of men throughout a, a long 162-game schedule. You saw that in the minors, and you've seen – how a manager works in the major leagues. How do you feel like Ali Marmol is going to be able to accomplish that challenge? Yeah, it's definitely going to be a challenge, but I think someone like himself who, who has uh, got his mind set on, on one goal, and that is to win and, and to make sure that you know, the team, again, like I've said before, hey, we're all, all heading in, in one direction, and, and that's, uh, at the end of the day, that, that's to make it to the postseason and, and, and then on to the World Series. And I think someone like Marmol, who, that's his constant focus, um, you, you can build a team around, you know, a guy like that who can say, hey, you give me the best people you got uh, in this organization uh, and elsewhere for that matter, and we're going we're gonna to give you our best. We're going to put the best, uh, the best lineup we can to essentially get to what we're trying to achieve here is get back to being in the postseason every year and back to the World Series. I mean, his mindset is constantly that. Uh, I, I know for a fact he hates losing. And so uh, he's going to be a great guy to have as kind of the forefront uh, of, of the organization. Mitch Harris was the second military officer ever to play in Major League Baseball. He played for the Cardinals back in 2015. Oliver Marmol was his manager in his first year in the minors when Marmol was 26 and Harris was 27. He's joining us here on BK and Ferrario for another couple of minutes. Mitch, one of the things that Cardinals fans loved about the Mike Schilt era Cardinals was how, how much attention to detail there was. The defense was excellent. The base running was really good. They had very few outs on the bases. Is that something that you expect to continue with Oliver Marmol? I would imagine, given what you said earlier about some of the practice things that he would do pregame, that is the case. But do you have any examples of that from your time with him? Yeah, you know, and I think that's the the fun part for me to kind of sit back and and watch this is, you know, Marmol is the guy I had in short season my first year. Uh, and then I had uh, Mike Schilt in Double A and Triple A, uh, and so playing for both of these guys, they're very similar. And the attention to detail is 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 key to them. Um, you know, when you when you go back and look at you know uh, post game comments and things that you go through as a team, and you know talking about the next day and how can we get better, both of those guys are huge on attention to detail. So I don't see any of that changing. Um, I, I think both those guys are great. I'm looking forward to seeing 
you know, how Ollie, you know, differentiates himself and, and um, it's going to be really fun to see because, again, like I said, I could I could sit here and tell you all kinds of stories about how he challenged the hitters during BP, how he challenged the infielders, you know, during during uh, you know infield work and uh, during pitch uh, for pitchers during during bullpens, uh, you know, having having just that constant competitiveness, the, the pushing uh, to always strive to get better. Um, I, I just think uh, I, I give a lot of credit to him and, and Schilt for you know, helping me kind of make that transition. And so looking to see him on that big stage uh, and do that at that level, uh, I'm, I'm sure I sure am excited to see what uh, what's going to happen. Mitch, it says something for other major leaguers when you see guys who come through the system and grow up through the minor leagues, and that's what Ali Marmal has done from being a player to a manager to a scout to a coach. You've been through that as well, going through the, the minor leagues. Is there a certain amount of respect that a guy gets when he has to go through that grind of a career? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can remember, you know, my first uh, spring training and seeing, seeing Ollie in short season, um, just picking the brains of, of, of the coaches that were down there, who's been in, you know, an organization, some of them, you know, 20, 30 years, uh, and DJ, who was the, you know, the, the field coordinator for a while, uh, just picking the brains of all these guys who are, who've been here for so many different uh, managers and coaches that come through. Uh, and just seeing kind of Ollie grow in, in, in a coach. And, and so that was really cool to see uh, him spend time, which, quite frankly, those are very tough games to sit through. <laughs> but watching him uh, try to just pull everything he can uh, and, and constantly thinking ahead uh, and watching him kind of pick up, you know, small things here and there. And then obviously kind of growing with him into high A and seeing him, uh, you know, move and, 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 and grow as a coach and manager. Those were all really neat things to see. And so to see him all the way at this level now and, and to get from essentially short season all the way to the big leagues, and I, I'm, I'm so thrilled for him. He's put in a lot of hard work, and, and so I'm, I'm excited to see um, you know, how this pans out. Mitch, final question that I have for you. Do you have a favorite Ollie Marmol story, uh, whether it be your time in the minors or um, something that he did pregame, just a, a great story of you spending time with Ollie Marmol down in the minor leagues? Yeah, I mean, there, there's 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 a bunch. Uh, the most, uh, the biggest one that I think tells you exactly who he is. I'll never forget it. We're sitting in the clubhouse, and he tells us he that we that we have a guest today. And before the guest comes in, he plays a a video on on a, on a laptop, and it was a thirty for thirty about Josiah Vieira. And most people in the St. Louis area uh, may have heard about him. Definitely in the Penn State area, where short season was at the time. Um, Josiah had progeria. Uh, he passed away a few years ago, but the first time we met him, Ollie brought him in. The kid loved baseball more than anybody I've ever met in my life. And he came in, uh, this, you know, two foot kid who's really, you know, nine, 10, 11 years old at the time. And he just oozed with passion for baseball. And so Ollie knew what that was going to do for our team and how that was going to impact us to really see the bigger picture of what this was about. And so from that day forward, Josiah would spend time uh, in, our, in our clubhouse, in the locker room, uh, in, in, the, in the dugout with us, just to constantly reiterate that, hey, this is a game, uh, and, and there's, much things, there's things much bigger than this, but it always uh, inspired us to push hard, uh, play our hardest, do our best. But Ollie knew that when he brought Josiah in, uh, and, and Josiah became basically a part of our team. Uh, Ollie had him um, you know, throughout the next several years, 
Josiah ended up winning several awards, and it was so inspiring to see that. But Ali kind of brought him under his wing, and to see him do that, um, that that meant a lot to me. And and to see the type of person that Ali is uh, is what I'm so happy for and proud of. Uh, to be you know, a friend of his. I can't wait to find out more about Ollie over the coming days, weeks, months, and hopefully years as he continues to be the manager of the Cardinals. Mitch, thanks so much for shedding a little light on what your experience was with Ollie down in the minor leagues. All the best to you and yours. Thanks so much for your service, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon, man. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. That's Mitch Harris, former Cardinals pitcher, second military officer ever to play in Major League Baseball. If you want to follow him on Twitter, he's at Mitch underscore Harris, the number two. And I, I that story is something that we had heard previously. And yeah. anybody that you talk to about Ali Marmol will bring up his relationship with Josiah. I, I think it's just symbolic of who he is. Earlier today, I asked him a little bit about his um, his experience is giving back and he's done some uh, mission trips down to South America where he has helped to spread the game of baseball down there. Um, he's he's a really interesting dude, man. And whether you're talking life or talking baseball with him or with people that have been around him, it, I, I think this is the type of person who if he's winning and that's a prerequisite for anybody in sports here in St. Louis. But if he's winning, I really do think this city will latch on to who he is as a person and what his personality is. Yeah, I, I really, I think, I think the impact Ali Marmol is going to have one is on the community, which is always important, especially when you're a member of the St. Louis Cardinals. But I, I think the impact he's going to have is a lot bigger than what we are thinking it's going to be in terms of that clubhouse and the players. Somebody texted in and said Ali Marmol was brought in here to be able to tell Yachty to take a seat and him actually agree to it. There's something to that, but there's also something to getting younger guys like Alex Reyes to understand the role that he's been placed in or getting, you know, and put yourself in. It's not going to happen because he's not a part of the team this upcoming season, but in in the KK situation of saying, hey, you're not in the rotation anymore, and here's why. Communicating beforehand. I I think there's something to be said about Ali Marmal, who's 35 years old, who can have an impact on rosters, who are guys who are close to his age, a little bit older, a little bit younger than him, and to be able to understand where he's coming from rather than just saying, oh, well, this is just old curmudgeon telling me that I'm not doing this and I'm going to fight against it. It's all relationship driven. I mean, that's the case for any boss employee relationship. Like the when you have a better em- a relationship with your boss, chances are you're probably going to enjoy your job quite a bit more. And as much as we talk about the manager player relationship, and I'm not trying to compare our job to theirs because it's different. It- it's very different. But it's really important to have that good relationship between the two. And it's got to be able to have conversations going both ways. And that's something that it seems like Marmol will be good at. We'll see. It takes time, right? We haven't seen him yet in that specific job at this level. And things change. But so far, everything sounds like this is a hire that makes a lot of sense from that perspective. So I can't wait to see what that looks like. And the big question to me is, can he be the Cardinals version of Alex Cora? Alex Cora is one of the five best managers in baseball. I'm not saying Marmol's going to be that, but there is a comparison between the 2022 Cardinals and the 2018 Red Sox that I do think is pretty interesting, and we'll tell you about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN.
expectations for this organization has always been the same to win a World Series. Losing in the wildcard game or losing in the NLCS is no different. Sure, you have a little bit more pride and we made it further, but at the end of the day, a championship is the goal and anything less than that is a disappointment. This year in 2022 is no different. Um, we will prepare in a way to take our shot at a championship um, and anything less than that will be a disappointment. That's what it sounded like yesterday at Ollie Marmol's introductory press conference with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I don't know what Marmol's future is going to look like as a manager. I have no idea. Anybody that tells you otherwise is, is kidding themselves. However, I do think he's got a chance to be a pretty darn good one. And if you look at the way that he's risen through the ranks, there are some similarities. It is not a one for one, but there are some similarities to the way that Alex Cora rose through the ranks in Major League Baseball. He also had never been a Major League manager prior to getting the gig with the Red Sox back in 2018. And you know what that led to. Won the World Series the first year that he was oh, there. I thought he was eliminated in the first round. I, that, that was not the case. Oh, okay. He was, he was, yeah, he was great right away. They missed the playoffs the next year. Oh, okay. Um, well, that's good then. They won 108 games in his first year as the Red Sox manager. And Alex, I don't know if that's going to be the case for the Cardinals next year. There are very few teams that win 108 games in any season. But if you look at the reflection of where the Red Sox were prior to Alex Cora and where the Cardinals have been the last couple of years under Mike Schiltz, it's not just the Cora to Marble comparisons that are interesting. It's the organizational comparisons. The Red Sox in 2016 and 2017 won the division both years. They went to the ALDS and lost both times. Then they fired their manager. And there were a lot of questions after the end of the season. Hey, you just won the division two straight years. You won 93 games each of those two seasons. Why are you firing your manager? Now, there was some behind-the-scenes stuff going on, and this was, remember, the David Price incident on the plane with the team broadcaster, and they went back and forth, and there were a lot of questions about David Price's leadership, I guess, if you will, on that team. But... It, it was questionable in Boston to fire John Farrell at that point in time. And I read a column last night from one of the columnists in, in Boston that I swear, if you just changed the names from Farrell to Schilt, it would have been something that would have been perfectly read today or this week in St. Louis. Because it basically said, hey, their president of baseball operations had very few answers, Dave Dombrowski, on why he decided to make that change, other than saying, like, there were differences and we needed to head in a new direction. Sound familiar? And what they decided to do was hire Alex Cora, a new up-and-coming manager that they believed could put them into the new direction, and they won the World Series the next year. Alex, do you think there's a chance that that's how this is remembered here in St. Louis, where you look at it and in the moment you're like, man, this seems like a really puzzling decision for a guy that the last two years has made the postseason, won 90 games this year, won 91 games in 2019, the last full season. And then a year from now, we're looking back on it and saying, you know what, the Cardinals have a really good manager and actually it might have been the best thing for them that they decided to make that move. I think there's a possibility. I think there's definitely correlations there with with both the Red Sox and the Cardinals my question is, what did the Red Sox do with their roster? They added J.D. Martinez. That right there is the difference maker. This we is can a- do that, too, this year. <laughs> yeah, well, he's also, he's, like, he's also like, what, five years older and using uh, a walker? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Look, that right there so is... really good. Okay. That's the di- Where are the Red Sox at right now in the world? Like They're World the- Series bound, like- aren't they? They were in the ALCS. I mean, I'd take that. He's like Nelson Cruz no, slash David I'll Braun. be damned if it's not a World Series. <laughs> Touche. Look, that's the difference maker, though. 
you got to make that roster move because if I'm remembering correctly, the the Red Sox roster at the time included Xander Bogarts, Mookie Betts, Rafael Devers, mm-hmm. right? You had a big three-headed monster already there for your Andrew, offense. Andrew Benatendi was coming off a pretty good season. He looked like he was on the upward trajectory. We know that didn't end up taking place, but same thing for Jackie Bradley Jr. Looked like, oh, this is, this is the young outfield, Mookie Betts. They, they had a lot going for them at that point in time. But they went out there and they said, we need one more piece. We need one more piece to set us over the top, and it's a big big time bat in the middle of our order. And that was J.D. Martinez. That's where the Cardinals are at right now. And if you basically say, oh, well, this is our roster and we're going to run with it, you're not, give, you're not doing service to the manager of taking over. You need to give him every weapon possible. And I get it if you're going to make the argument of, oh, well, that was a different time and analytics weren't as big of a deal at that time, whatever it may be. They made the move to bring in a guy who every season hit 30 or more home runs. Cardinals have that option at shortstop where they can add another bat to a lineup that looks like they're bound for a World Series push. That is the difference maker for me. If they do that, then yeah, I think that I think that Ali Marmol can be like an Alex Cora. Yeah, I'm with you. If you can find that fourth kind of impact bat and it's going to come via free agency, then I think this has every opportunity to be what Alex Cora did in Boston. And the other thing, too, to kind of look at is you look at that 2017 season, Bogarts, Devers, and uh, Betts. They were good, but they weren't great. The following years when... And maybe it was the protection from a J.D. Martinez, but that's when you see Mookie Betts kind of take off. That's when you see Xander Bogart start his kind of projector projection upward, same with Devers. So it comes down to also a guy getting the best out of his young players. And look, Mike Schilt did that with Tyler O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader and Dylan Carlson were great this year. There's still more that Dylan Carlson can do. There's still another step for Dylan Carlson to take. And then you've got Nolan Gorman on his way up, along with potentially Matthew Libertor, a Juan Yapez. That's going to be critical for uh, Oliver Marmol is get these young guys going as quick as he possibly can to get to their ceiling so this Cardinals team can take that next step as well. Yeah, we got this from the text line. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 980. BK, here in St. Louis, we already know what the manager's role is and the team, the Cardinals organization, is what we care more about and who is playing on that team. I, I get that completely, but what I'm saying is that the manager... While I have been, I mean, I've been saying this all along, right? The manager's role is a little overrated in general in baseball, especially with the modern game, as we've heard a lot about in recent weeks. But there is still a role for the manager to play. And he's got to have difficult conversation to be able to maximize the talent that you have on your roster. You do need somebody, as Alex said in the last segment, that can have those difficult conversations and can have the relationships that will pay off with Yachty taking some days off next year. That can pay off with Tommy Edmond instead of leading off every day and playing second base every day. Maybe you do see 120 games next year out of Tommy Edmond and it maximizes the player that he can be. Same thing for Harrison Bader. Like There are things that the manager can do that makes your roster better on a day-to-day basis, and that's what I'm hopeful and I believe, honestly, at this point in time, Marmol can and will do for the Cardinals next year, just as Cora did for the Red Sox in 2018. But you guys are also right, and the texture is right, you need the players. If they don't go out and make additions this offseason, then everything that we're saying right now is a moot point because the team's just not talented enough to win at a World Series type of level. But whether you go get that big bat that's a shortstop, and we all know the names by now, or if you go out there and, as Marmol talked about earlier today, you add some platoon bats that can help you, and they become uh, your Lamont Wade or whomever you want to talk about from the Giants that had a huge season this year. 
That's the other option that you could have. If you've got a manager that's willing to play that way, you can maximize things from that perspective as well. They've got a lot of options. They've got a lot of possibilities this offseason, but it all leads to the World Series got to be the goal. 2018, the Red Sox, they had a very similar type of situation as to what you have right now. They made the big move that was necessary. Now it's on the Cardinals. It's it's their time to be able to do that same thing in the offseason. It's 1230, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, Dan Rosen's the senior writer for NHL.com. We've heard from you guys. What's the national perspective of the Blues? Are they finally going to get the credit that they deserve after this 5-0 start? Well, we'll ask Dan Rosen next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie, and right now we're getting the national perspective on the St. Louis Blues. All year, Alex has been very frustrated by the fact that nationally people are not respecting the Blues the way that they need to, and we are going to correct that by talking with Dan Rosen, the senior writer for NHL.com, and he's the host of the NHL's The Rink podcast. You can also follow him on Twitter, at DRosenNHL. Dan, thanks so much for hopping on with us today. I am curious, what has been your perspective of the Blues' 5-0 and start to the season? Surprised, actually, and I'm kind of kicking myself that I am surprised um but i wondered i was among those in the national perspective wondering about the blues this season i thought that they were a middle i think still kind of i mean we'll see where it goes that they were a middle of the pack central division team uh kind of lumped in i thought it was colorado at the top arizona at the bottom and six teams kind of lumped in in the middle there, Minnesota, Winnipeg, Nashville, Dallas, St. Louis, you know, like trying to figure out who would kind of be the case. But a 5-0 and start puts you ahead of the game, no question about it. Where I have been super impressed with them, uh, yes, the offense has been great. I mean, they, you know, five goals, seven goals, seven goals, and then a couple of games with three. But it's the way they're keeping the puck out of the net a lot of times. Um, they, the goals against, I think that they have allowed, uh, what, what is it now, um, somewhere in the neighborhood of, I'm trying to look at it, 11 goals, and I think six are in the third period, but a couple of those are in garbage time yeah, when yeah. they have a big lead. Um, that is impressive. That is, a, that is a stick-to-itiveness that Craig Berube's teams in St. Louis have been a you know have had an identity uh, of playing the consistent game from start to finish, and we're seeing that from them right now. You know the the schedule is what it is. I mean, you get a game against Arizona early, that helps. Two against LA early, and that helps. But they did play Colorado and they did play Vegas. Now they played Vegas, I think, without a couple of their big guns, uh, and Colorado without McKinnon. So you get lucky. Lucky is good sometimes, and. You know, I, I, I've been impressed and I guess somewhat surprised, but, you know, we'll see. They got a four game road trip coming up, uh, not against any like crazy daunting opponents. Winnipeg's probably the best team on that road trip that they got coming up. 
but four games in a row on the road. So you got to see if you can figure out and keep it going. But uh, I like what I'm seeing so far. No question about it. They're proving people like me wrong right now. Dan, what is it about the forward depth that has impressed you? I mean, we just found out, as, as we heard on our Sports Center update, that uh, Ryan O'Reilly on the COVID protocol list and Brandon Saad still on that protocol list. But even without yeah. those guys, for me, there's a little bit more faith now than what it was last year if you lost one of those names. Well, you know what it is? It's because their young guys have come up and really played well. And if you look at the spread of their lines, they have at least one younger player, 23 and under type of player, I think, on each line. So it's spread evenly. And these are good players we're talking about. Cairo has made a big difference, obviously. Robert Thomas is making a big difference. You know, a guy like Tim Costin's playing very well. Jake Neighbors is getting in there, and he's playing well. Then you have the veteran presence, too, when – not on the COVID list, Ryan O'Reilly and David, you know, obviously Perron's not Brandon Saad and Pavel Buchnevich is working his way in with a goal and an assist. And, you know, look, I, I, I think, and they, and they've gotten some life out of guys like James Neal and, and Tyler Bozak too. So uh, it, it's been an impressive uh, run here for them because oh, obviously Tarasenko too, how do you go without saying him? <laughs> um, you know, like it, it's, I like the way they're spread out with their young guys kind of, not having to carry anything, but not being carried either. We're talking to Dan Rosen of NHL.com. He's joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Uh, Dan, there you mentioned it. The Blues are going to be likely without Ryan O'Reilly and Brandon Saad for the next couple of games here. Uh, what are you interested in finding out about this team while they're without Saad and O'Reilly? Well, I think the most important thing is what you find out when you don't have Ryan O'Reilly, because here is a guy... He's a puck possession monster, right? I mean, he wins almost, you know, he wins two thirds of every face off, two out of every three face offs he takes. Um, so you're going to have to make up for that. Face offs aren't the end all be all. At the end of the day, once the puck is dropped and the sticks go together, it's a puck battle, right? So you got to win the puck battle. But O'Reilly is so good at winning puck battles, not just on face offs, but all over the ice. So the, are they going to have the puck as much? Uh, that's going to be a very interesting thing. And if they're not going to have the puck as much, it obviously puts a little bit more pressure on their D. And, and I don't mean they're, they're six defensemen. I mean they're forwards backtracking to play D, and O'Reilly's one of the best to do in that too. So, I mean, this is like taking Anze Kopitar off of the Kings, uh, Alex Barkov off of the Panthers, uh, Patrice Bergeron you know, off, off of the Bruins. It, that's, the, that's what we're talking about here. Uh, and if you take, you know, you take a top two-way centerman selfie trophy winner off of the out of your lineup it's going to hurt so are they going to have the puck as much as they've had it so dan in terms of of keeping the puck out of their net that was a big issue for the blues last season and i think everyone looked at them and said man this is not going to be good if it continues this route we've seen justin falk improve colton pareko looks 100 percent. where are you at just on the blues defense core as a whole this season yeah i well that's the key which you just said falk looks improved I, you know, I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of their game last night, but I read about it and I saw highlights. And from what I saw and from what I read, it might have been his best game as a St. Louis Blue. Last, you know, and um, so that's a huge factor. Pareko is the key guy. I mean, you think about from the 2019 team, everybody that they've lost, right? Petrangelo and Bo Meester being the two that come to mind immediately, and also Vince Dunn. Pareko's the big guy that has to be the stalwart, and if he's not 100. percent 
he's your number one defenseman. And if he's not 100%, it takes a lot out of your team. And you can ask, you know, Tory Krug to do more and things along those lines. But Krug's an offensive guy, and he can play strong D. But you need that stalwart there on the back end, and Pareko's that guy. So if he's going to be healthy and playing the way we expect him to play, then it kind of trickled down. The trickle-down effect really does help. You don't have guys having to do more than they're probably capable of at doing at a successful level or a consistent level. Um, and, and that's huge. And so you're seeing that. Plus, look, I mean, Billy Huso is great, and Bennington's been solid in his four starts. Final question that I've got for Dan Rosen of NHL.com. Dan, I was stunned, absolutely stunned, when the Blues actually went into the season with Vladimir Tarasenko still on the roster. I thought there was no way that that would end up being the case, and I underestimated once again Doug Armstrong going into the season with Vladimir Tarasenko being on the roster. What was your level of surprise seeing that? And at this point, what are your expectations when it comes to his trade demand now that he's actually playing very well for the Blues on their third line? Well, you know, look, you mentioned third line, so it's still a third line role for a guy who probably, you know, who still obviously believes he's a first line player and is playing like one right now. Uh, I wasn't surprised, to be honest with you, that he was still with the team. And the reason was is the, the shoulder. Uh, you know, I didn't see where the Blues could get fair value and I didn't see where the market was for Tarasenko because you're talking about a guy with three shoulder operations on the same shoulder in a short period of time. To me, there has to be a proven element that you can stay on the ice. And if you're going to go acquire a guy and pay him seven and a half this year and next year, there has to be that guy has to be on the ice, and he, he can't have a bad shoulder come to you with a bum shoulder. So I thought, even though he wanted to be traded and demanded the trade, requested the trade, the Blues were kind of hamstrung in that sense that they weren't just going to give him away, and they weren't going to you know, and they weren't they weren't going to take less value for him. But getting the value that they felt that they could get was probably going to be hard because of the shoulder. So bring him in, play him, see how he does, and then see what happens after that. He's still signed through next season, so it's not like you're looking at a situation where you're like, I got to trade this guy anyway. Uh, I think if things keep going the path they're going, and he's scoring goals like he did the other night, like, like he did last night, I mean, my goodness, why would he want to leave? Dan, final one from me. Um, you had the piece with your your coworker on NHL.com. There's four undefeated teams still in the National Hockey League, and you and your coworker Tom, believed that the Blues would be the last one standing. With this news of Ryan O'Reilly and still Brandon Saad, do you still believe that? Well, I mean, it's going to be hard, no question about it, especially with Colorado coming into town Thursday night. That's going to be a difficult test. Um, so, I, I, I'm not going to back away from it now. Uh, you <laughs> I know, like it. Uh, but, but I'm not going to back away from it now. But, I, I mean, I'm not as confident as I was. You know, let's say that. How about, you know, we'll see after tomorrow night because Florida plays at home against Boston. And they're the, the biggest challenger for this in my estimation. And if Florida dumps out, then maybe St. Louis does have a chance playing Thursday. Uh, I think Carolina doesn't play until Thursday either. I believe Edmonton, I think Edmonton plays tonight. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but, you know, look, I'm not going to back away from it. I said it, so let's go with it. Hmm. No, Edmonton doesn't play tonight. I like <laughs> it. I like it, Dan. It's going to be really hard for these other undefeated teams to outlast the 82-0 and Blues. So I don't know how yeah. that's going to work. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it's going to be hard to do, yeah. <laughs> we appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks for hopping on with us today. We'll talk with you again soon. Thanks, Thanks Absolutely. That's Dan Rosen of NHL.com. You can hear him on the, the Rink podcast for NHL.com and read his work over there as well. I Do you think the Blues are going to be the last undefeated team? With this news, man, it's going to be tough. 
I'm going to stick with it, though, because I think... Yeah, of course you are. Of course I'm going to stick with this. I think Florida... Florida is going to drop against Boston because Boston's been playing a little better as of late. Edmonton's got Philly tomorrow night. That's going to be an interesting one. Um, Carolina, I don't remember who they play. Theirs isn't until Friday, I think. But, yeah, I'm going to stick with this one. Carolina plays the Bruins. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, they'll probably go down. On Thursday. Thursday. Okay, so... They play the Bruins, and they've got Chicago, Arizona, Chicago. Feel like they're gonna if they get through the Bruins, they'll I'll be pretty confident shape. that yeah. the Hurricanes are gonna be able to win their next three. Yeah, they could be like ten and zero. Here's the reason. <laughs> here's the reason I'm gonna stick with it though, because for the first time in, I guess the eighteen nineteen season, an injury doesn't or an injury slash absence from a player doesn't concern me like it used to. It concerns me a bit for this matchup with this player. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not saying that I am worried about the Blues because Ryan O'Reilly's out the next four games. Against Chicago, L.A., San Jose, I think you can overcome Ryan O'Reilly not being in the lineup. It's going to be difficult because he's awesome, but you can do it. Against Colorado, we've seen how this typically goes in these matchups. They love having the Ryan O'Reilly line against the top line of Colorado because of how good they are defensively. Now, the question is, do you also now have that with your second line? Can that Braden Shin, Kai Rubuchnevich line line up against their top line from Colorado? And you don't have to shut them down because you're not going to. It's impossible to do. Nobody can. Can you slow them down? Can you make life difficult on them and make Colorado beat you with their second, third, and fourth lines? If you can, Blues are going to have every opportunity to win. But you know one. what the difference is? The difference is they don't have a Don Soy on the second line and a Saad on the third line. So you Absolutely. have you have fav- more favorable matchups against the Avalanche. Yeah, it's going to be tough to shut down that top line without Ryan O'Reilly. But Braden Shen is a hell of a defensive forward. Same can be said about Tyler Bozak. And I like the matchups if you're going to plug Bozak in with Perron and Costin. And I wouldn't be surprised maybe if you see a Barbashev shift up to that top line or maybe the James Neal sticks up there. I think it's going to be a lot closer than what it would have been without Ryan O'Reilly, but I still would stick with the Blues in this one. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. The Last Minute Blues podcast is tonight at 6 o'clock with Jamie, Donnie, and Burton. That's coming up at 6 o'clock tonight. And on Thursday, you'll hear Blues versus Avalanche right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN with pregame coverage and Alex Ferrario at 6 o'clock. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, we'll talk about the Blues and whether or not they can afford to keep Vladimir Tarasenko the rest of the year. But next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Tanner just told us that he was listening to Christmas music yesterday. What's wrong with that? We're two months away. Actually, less now. I've got a lot of problems with that. Uh, Halloween's five days from now. <laughs> yeah, there is that. the most underappreciated holiday ever, you know Thanksgiving. Why? Uh, well, okay, I love Thanksgiving, but there's no like music to it. No, there's not, but you can celebrate you don't a song. It. You don't hear like a sad song talking about we eating a turkey. We are two months from Christmas music. I think, there is, Christmas. I think there is a turkey song. Oh. Yeah, it's Adam Sandler. Yeah, the tur- yeah. Oh. There's on, only man. one. There's not a ton. Look, nope. 
No, if you're listening to Christmas music now, isn't that after Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, That's when the it day starts? after Thanksgiving, no, no, no. when I drive home from Thanksgiving dinner, you're not a true I turn fan, on then. Christmas music. You're not That's a true fair. Fan, Radio stations just like try and compete with each other now of turning Christmas music on. It used to be and Black Friday. You crazy people are listening to it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it used to be Black Friday. Christmas music was on the radio until New Year's Eve, and you would put the Christmas trees up, you put the lights up, and you would enjoy Christmas on Black Friday. Somebody said Christmas on the text line 65780 from the 618. Christmas music just makes you happy, though, so of course we're going to listen to it. Hey. Yeah, but you hate it by the time Christmas comes. That's the thing. No, I Christmas get... music is so good that you can't hate it. Christmas music is great. All I Want for Christmas by Mariah Carey is an all-time classic. Whether Truth. it be Christmas music or just in general, it's a classic song. But I don't need to hear it 7,000 times over the next yeah. month and a half. Like the people that created Christmas in July, get the hell out of here. If you want to celebrate it as a one-off, that's fine. Why? I wouldn't be here for it, but if somebody else... It's 115 degrees outside, and we're going to celebrate Christmas by listening to Mariah Carey? That's it fine. probably gives you cooler feelings. Let's no, be honest. No, it doesn't. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Sit, yeah. sit next to your pool next year, next July. You tell us how it feels. I will, because I won't be listening to it. Alex, what do you have for us today? In the you know what? Program? I don't even want my story in the junk drawer, because what T-Bone is doing right now is pure junk. <laughs> what? It is pure Whoa. junk. You don't listen to Christmas but music honestly, yet. Though, the classics are better. Not, I mean, I like Mariah Carey's, but like... Uh, you know, Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby. Thank you. Thank you, 314. Halloween music. Like, this is the ultimate time There's for no Halloween, Halloween music. There's no Halloween music. There's literally what are you one talking song. about? We just had, my wife and I just had a playlist the other night, Carving Pumpkins. There's literally one song. What's the it, one song? Thriller. No. That's what, it. What? The, the Monster, Monster Mash? Mash? Like, come on. Ghostbusters? Those, no, that's a theme song. That's not, that's a, not song. a theme song. It's a Halloween song. A theme no, song would be the Halloween theme music. No, Ghostbusters is a theme song to Highway a movie. to Hell. Highway to Hell that's is a great a, one. That's not a Halloween song. That, that's not the what yeah, is. Yeah, I was going to say, what Nothing, else would that's be? That's my point. Ozzy Osbourne's Crazy Train. That's Monster Mash either. is absolutely my wife, Halloween My song. wife hates the Monster Mash. It's the Mash. I, I tell her <laughs> all the, the time. Monster. I don't know how you hate the Monster Mash. It's it such a good song. It was a mash. It was a guy. The Adams <laughs> Family song? That's Tanner, another great you, you Halloween song. You know what song. we learned here? Tanner doesn't know the song. Yeah. <laughs> Tanner just hates good music. That's what it was. Tanner just hates there's good no, music. There's seriously one... Cr- uh, I put sorry, a spell Halloween on you. Song. That's a great song from Hocus Mate, Pocus. I don't know that one This either, is but... Halloween from the Nightmare Before Christmas. There you that's go. A so- that's a movie solely based off of Halloween celebrated before Christmas. But you get like... When I think Christmas songs, there's you got like the store. Uh, the stories are like Rudolph, Frosty. You've got... Are those not from movies? Those are all from with... movies. <laughs> like, come on. Now I got to pull up this no. Halloween party music from, that we were listening to. Uh, Somebody's Watching Me by Rockwell go. with Michael Jackson. Werewolves of London. One. That's another great one. Disturbia from Rihanna. Great one. Heads Will Roll. Heads Will Roll. Oh, my God. Stevie Wonder, Superstition. I just, That's I can't not believe you. Either. Yes, it is. It's no. solely about superstition. What did it? No, it's not Halloween what music. What we've learned here today is that Tanner doesn't know what is and isn't Halloween music. And also, he is vastly over oh my God. underrating what is the Halloween time warp music. song from Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's another great one. But I do know what great Christmas music is. No, I want to break something. I will say, this just puts me in a good mood. See? Is that how See? you dance? Are you serious? You've seen me dance. You know how Whoa. it works. 
So you, you listen to that on a, like a chilly day when you go for your walk. You had a it you had a nice match. bowl of chili for lunch. Eat the monster burnt mash. your grilled Eat cheese, the and then you go for your walk, and what it's nice and cool. Was a what did you add there at the end? Smash. Burnt my grilled cheese. Who the hell burnt? That's like grilled cheese. That's like messing up peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. It's possible. How? Well, you know, you put it on there, and you don't think it's the oven's going to cook it as fast as it did. I turn around, I went, holy. Tanner. Still ate it, though. Still good. But pepper jack cheese should not really be the cheese. I've learned that now. This is terrible. I like. I have lost so much respect for you today. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Bet it or forget it coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But next, we're getting back to the blues. We've seen a lot of criticism about us. We don't talk enough about the blues. That's on that's, no, that's on Alex. That's on you more than anything. Alex. We don't want to talk about blues after their win because Ollie Marmol. Alex decided like that, that we though. wouldn't talk about the blues this week. So I am pushing back. We're talking about them coming up next. Can the Blues afford to keep Vladimir Tarasenko for the rest of the season? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. You are one pathetic loser. Giving you the picture. The real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario. Live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Give me a top 4D guy who can play 20 minutes plus a game, and you've got yourself a deal. Because that top 4D is probably coming in somewhere close as far as a salary match for Vladdy. Probably 6 to $8 million depending on who the defenseman is. I think it's a dollar for dollar, player for player, need for need. Obviously, if they're looking at Vladimir Tarasenko, they're looking to add a dynamic score to their lineup. And the Blues will be looking for a top 4 defenseman. So... That's what I, that is the only thing I'm answering the phone for right now. If I'm Doug Armstrong, that was Jamie Rivers last week on the fast lane talking about what he should be looking for, what the Blues should be looking for rather in any trade for Vladimir Tarasenko with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie, but should the Blues be looking at trading Vladimir Tarasenko? That quote was from before we saw this version of Vladdy. He's looked like his vintage self over the last three games, Alex, and it's produced the results that you would expect from him. A goal against Vegas, two assists against L.A., two goals against L.A. In all three of those games, he's had at least five shots on goal. This is the version of Vladdy that we remember pre-injury. This is what that's what he's been playing like. So as we stand here today on October 26th, five games into the season, Alex, do you think this is a team that can afford to trade Vladimir Tarasenko right now? Uh, right now, I don't. I really don't. Because unless you're getting somebody with the same level of talent or more talent than what Vladimir Tarasenko provides to your team right now, whether that be a forward position or a defensive position, I don't think it's going to benefit you. And frankly, even if somebody were to call you right now and say, hey, we can give you this guy straight up. I, I don't know. Insert name here. Jack Eichel, Mitch Marner, whoever you want to go with. You're... You're taking a massive hit to your locker room chemistry, which I know people hear it and say, oh, if you give me Mitch Marner, I don't care about locker room chemistry. That means a hell of a lot, man, especially when you see how Vladdy's been playing, when you hear guys like Robert Thomas and Jordan Bennington talking about how hard this guy has worked and how much they love him in the locker room. Ville Husso did a postgame interview with Curbs and Joey last night, and mid-interview, Ville Husso goes, man, I hope we keep this guy. They don't want him to go anywhere. So, I mean, it would have to take a hell of a lot for me to look at Vladimir Tarasenko and say, yeah, we'll trade him right now in the middle of team winning five games in a row. 
because not only are you hoping you get something better back, but you're also taking a massive hit to the chemistry in this locker room. And right now this team's a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I still think I don't think you trade him now, but I still think you have to move him by the deadline. And part of that is because he wants out. And though, yes, it hasn't leaked to the locker room, and I don't think it will. I, I think it's best to give him what he wants and get him out of St. Louis, especially if there starts to become an issue of him being injured. That's when things would become more inter- interesting because that's where his issues are. Is It's not so much with the guys in the locker room. It's not having trust in the St. Louis Blues medical uh, team. The other thing for me is, Although the Blues are playing really well right now, I I still think they need a top four defenseman to be a legitimate Stanley Cup playoff team. And the reason I say that is, look, I, I think they are a really good team. And I texted you guys last night. If they get goaltending like that from Ville Husso, and the way they're playing right now, they could be president trophy candidates for the NHL, best team in the National Hockey League. I, I think that... Right now, this version of the Blues plays better because, as we've talked about, things are more open right now. But when you get into postseason hockey, which is a bit of a different animal, and things starting to kind of tighten up and the hitting gets heavier, that's where I think the Blues right now will lack just a little bit behind and need that top four defenseman. And that's why I think they will look to move Vladimir Tarasenko at the trade deadline. We did get a text that I do think is an important part of this conversation from the 630. Guys, can you bring back Sonny, keep Tarasenko, and still be under the cap? As currently constructed, no, they would be about $850,000 over the cap if they had both of those guys on the roster, but that's easy to maneuver. I mean, you could find ways to make that happen, whether that be uh, doing something with Kyle Clifford. If there is another guy on the roster on the lower end, maybe Robert Bortuzzo, we'll see what happens with that sixth defenseman spot. Like there, there are ways that the blues could maneuver that doesn't include trading Vladimir Tarasenko if they needed to make that cap space available to them. So it wouldn't be for cap reasons. If you're trading Vladdy Tarasenko, it's because you're getting something significant in return. I I fall somewhere in between both of you guys because I do see your point, Alex. Right, right now, on top of that fence. Yeah, that's right. Right now, him. Vladimir Tarasenko, what he's bringing you on the third line is is huge. I mean, this is this is a legit top six forward that's currently overqualified and playing on the third line. And he has seemingly really good chemistry right now with Robert Thomas, which is not always been the case for Vladdy with his centerman over the years. And right now it looks like they're on the same page, which is huge. So I see the value in keeping him, but I do agree with Tanner that the biggest issue for this team is clearly a top four defenseman. I think if you had Marco Scandella right now down on your third pairing, and you had a legit guy to go alongside Colton Pareko, man, this seems really, really good. But how much are you losing by trading out Vladimir Tarasenko after you get back Sonny? I don't know, man. That That's where it gets very difficult for me to determine which one has more value there. I know you guys keep saying that, but, but is it really a concern? They've allowed 11 goals right now, which is fourth least in the National Hockey League. And as Dan Rosen mentioned, you got to say there was at least four trash goals towards the end of the game where the Blues were up 5-6-1. to one. I'm not judging the Blues based on how they do against undermanned Colorado and Vegas and then the Arizona and, uh, and LA teams that we've seen thus far. I'm not taking away from their record. I want to make that very clear. But I'm talking about how do you build a Stanley Cup roster? How do you win against the best of the best in the postseason, best of seven series? I think they're going to need another defenseman to do that. I guess the bigger question maybe is, do they already have that guy on the roster? Could it be Scott Perunovic that comes in and is the internal option for you that helps you defensively? It's possible that that is the case, and you don't need to trade Vladi, and you just promote from within. 
it's also possible they just don't have that guy. They do end up two weeks, three weeks, a month, two months down the road, needing another big body on the back end. And that's where this kind of a trade would come in. I don't think you should do it now. There's no reason to rush this thing because you're seeing Vladdy playing well. I, I think you take this thing close to the deadline See, based on the I way would, that we're watching. That's where I would oppose you on that. If you're going to pull a move off, I think it's the sooner rather the later, rather than later. Because then you have the majority of the season to sit here and say, okay, yeah, we moved on from this player, which is a really tough blow to our team, but we have the offense that can fill that void, and we're adding this person into our locker room so he can be implemented. Like, There's something to be said about locker room chemistry down the stretch when you go through the grind of a season. That's why Doug Armstrong didn't make a move in the 18-19 season. That's why he just brought in a Michael Delzato to be a complimentary piece because he didn't want to disrupt what the Blues were doing. Then go back to the year where the Blues took down the Blackhawks in the first round, but then they didn't go any further when they brought in Ryan Miller remember that big time trade it was earth shattering and it just didn't work it just didn't work there's something to be said about the chemistry on the ice so if you're going to make a move with Vladdy and you in the back of your mind know we can't keep him this season I think the sooner the better for this team rather than take this up to the trade deadline where you have 15 games left 20 games left to be played and you're trying to implement a guy into a system that is that a group of players just went through the grind of a season together on. And I, I agree with you. You have to kind of balance that out and figure out when that perfect time is. But if you have faith in your guys and believe that their chemistry is going to be good, even if you move out of Vladimir Tarasenko, but you bring in a piece and you can sell them on, this is the guy that's going to help you, help us get over the top. To me, you wait till the deadline because then what are you doing? You're probably increasing your value because as we get closer to the deadline and the clock ticks, what happens? A team that has that maybe that top four defenseman that they're willing to move or not. Let me rephrase that. They w- will move, but maybe they don't want to, but they need a top six goal scorer in Vladimir Tarasenko. They become desperate and have to make that move eventually. Well, and here's the other thing about this, too. I do think that the Blues will be having, have had conversations with Vladdy of, look, we don't want to move you, and I know you want out, but we have a legitimate shot to win a Stanley Cup. And Jeremy Rutherford's done phenomenal reporting, and he joined us earlier and basically said, from his knowledge, the the agent and Vladdy's side still wants to be moved out of St. Louis. This was never about being competitive or not liking his teammates. I mean, it's been reported this was about the the medical side of things, and that doesn't get changed. But you hope, if it's working in this way, that maybe conversations can be had. And say, look, Vladdy, this isn't working. Or this is working right now. We don't want to disrupt anything. Imagine what you could do in the offseason with another Stanley Cup underneath your belt. You might be able to get him to buy back in. But for me, if you go past the Winter Olympic break and he is on this team, I'm not trading him. Because he's a part of a roster that has gone through the gauntlet of a season. You're getting into the final stretch of the year. And I don't really care what somebody's going to offer me unless it's just earth shattering. Like Kale McCarr for Vladimir Tarasenko. I'm not going to mean, But but, but you see what I'm saying. Like unless it is an obvious like this makes us 100% better for the now and for the future. I'm not moving him because I got a legit shot at winning a cup. The reason I'm not moving him now or in the foreseeable future is because he's insurance. And what I mean by that is you just don't know what's going to happen with the injury bug. I mean, knock on wood, I hope this doesn't happen. But what if Jordan Cairo goes down? Well, Vladimir Tarasenko in your top six looks pretty good. What if David Perron goes down? Well, maybe you put him up where Pavel Buchnevich is right now, and Buch moves up to that line with Ryan O'Reilly. Vladimir Tarasenko being a third-line right winger, 
is is great for what it is right now, and also he provides you a heck of a lot of insurance for whatever ends up happening in your top six. And the other thing is, we talk about Sonny like he's he's coming back very soon. We just don't know when or what Sonny's going to look like when he does return. Those ACLs for hockey players can be very difficult to return from at 100%. Sometimes it takes 18 months for that to be the case. So I'm rooting for him to be back, and I'm rooting for him to be the Sunquist that we saw before he got injured. But he might not be that guy yet. And if he's not, well, you are going to need Vladdy Tarasenko on that third line. Otherwise, you're missing a gold scorer there. So there's a million reasons why right now this is what makes the most sense. And I also got to give credit to the front office because I questioned it from day one. I didn't think this was the right move to make. Doug Armstrong was correct on this. You're seeing why he was right because there was no reason to take 10 cents on the dollar when you're trading Vladimir Tarasenko in the offseason, let's see what he looks like in season. They believe that he would be able to produce for him. He has so far. And if this continues, whether it goes the route that Tanner would like, where they trade him uh, before the deadline. Yeah, jerk. Or the route that you're saying, Alex, it's where you keep business. him all year long. They've already upped what he's going to be worth on the open market. Yep. And if he continues playing this way, that's only going to increase, whether it be in season, off season, or in the future, uh, Vladimir Tarasenko playing the way that he has, has helped both the blues and his future in the NHL with Alex Ferrari on Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kylie in about 15 minutes or so. There's a lesson to be learned by who is not remaining in the postseason, And I do think it's something that Oliver Marmol should be paying attention to. We'll get to that coming up in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it here on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets him up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. Caught me off guard. I didn't have your mm. mic on in time. That's what's up. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's time for Bet It or Forget It. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Bet It or Forget It. A little bit of news to pass along in the Central Division, though. First, uh, the investigation into the Chicago Blackhawks is. It sounds like we're going to get a full report later today. They have held a public briefing uh, moments ago, or they started to hold one moments ago. And according to this, Stan Bowman has stepped aside. Kyle Davidson will be the interim GM. Um, it says no Blackhawks executives involved in the 2010 investigation will be with the organization moving forward. So uh, a full clean sweep of the Chicago Blackhawks organization. Uh, probably for the best, but just a heads up, that's where we're at right now. And for those of you that don't know, basically there were some assault allegations towards some of the players that were a part of that team back in 2010. There was something that was found. I, we don't know yeah. what was in the and investigation And there was somebody yet, else but. that was a part of the front office that was that stepped aside on top of Stan Bowman. So they're they're basically getting rid of who was a part of that team in 2010 and starting fresh. Yeah, uh, it's it's necessary if, yeah. if what was accused is true. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. All right, let's start out with this one. Bet it or forget it from the 314. Oliver Marmol will be the last managerial hire for John Mosaloc with the Cardinals. Ooh, that's a good one. He will be the last managerial hire for... John Mosley. I'm going to forget it. I'm going to forget it. I just, I don't see how people could believe that John Mosley on any type of hot seat. And he and the DeWitts are about as tight as you can get in terms of a front office and an ownership group. 
Um, they've gone with the system that has been implemented from the front office down, that has been passed down from the DeWitts. So I'm going to I'm going to forget this one because I think Ali Marmal, as great as he is sound, is just another chess piece for John Mozeliak. And when the time comes where he gets cornered, he's going to have to move on to another one. I think I'm going to bet it. I think this will be John Mozeliak's last manager of hire. And the reason I say that is because, A, if this is successful, Ali Marmol is going to be here for quite a while. And I think John, I don't know how long John Mozeliak wants to do this for, but I would assume if Marmol's successful and he's here five plus years, maybe John Mozeliak will start to step aside. And it's not a, that's not like a shot against him. You know, doing this for a long time, you want to get out of it at some point, I would think. He's been doing it for 15 years now. Yeah. So, and then the other reason I say that too is because to me, if Marmol gets fired, it's going to be because he falls flat in his face and this just goes really poorly. And then it's going to look bad on John Mozeliak and the organization. The fans are going to be a little, uh, not a little, going to be very upset. And then I think Bill DeWitt will say, okay, maybe we need to make, just go in a different direction, move on from Mo. I'm totally with Tanner on this. I think this is going to be his last manager hire regardless of how it goes. If it goes great, I think it's his last manager hire because the Cardinals are set in a good position and you've got a 35-year-old manager for the long haul who's going to lead you hopefully for the next decade. And I think that at that point in time, you'll probably have a new general manager, not because Mo was bad, but because 20 years as a general manager, outside of Billy Bean, is there anybody else in baseball right now that has had that long of a tenure over one team? Am I missing somebody that doesn't immediately come to mind for me? Because I, I can't think of anybody. It's it's really rare in the modern game to have anybody oversee an organization for that long. So for that reason, I think he would no longer be here. And if this goes really south, if this doesn't work, and over the next two, three years, the Cardinals plummet, which I'm not expecting. But if that were to happen, yeah, I think at that point, you've hired three different managers. We've gone your route. This is clearly... Mo in the front office's direction maybe it is time for a new voice and still at that point you'd be 15 18 20 years into this thing and you probably do end up going to the next one so I, I think that this is the type of hire that might be a legacy hire for John Mosellock in a lot of ways and to your point on you know you don't see guys do this for 20 plus years wasn't it uh Theo Epstein when he left the Cubs was basically I'm gonna be here for plan. 10 years got a 10-year plan and then I need to get out so there's new uh viewpoint on how things should be run. Somebody mentions uh, Brian Cashman. Yeah, that's the other one. Brian Cashman would be the only other manager. He's been there since 98 as the general manager. So before I was born, that that would be the one that comes to mind. Like 20 years before you were born. The fact that we can name two of them in all of baseball should tell you how rare it is to have one person in charge. When's Cashman getting this movie, by the way? But look at Cashman's relationship with their front office, our their ownership group, and it's very similar to John Mozeliak in the ownership group. He's under a lot of pressure though this year to win. There were a lot there of calls are, for his job this year. There are a lot of yeah, expectations. But the, up, but the ownership group maintained their faith in him, which is why I don't think they're ever yeah. going to do that with They turned Mo. it on the manager. They called out Boone and his staff. Exactly. And then they brought him back and said, hey, you're our manager. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Bet it or forget it. At least one of Tommy Edmond or Harrison Bader will be considered to be a platoon bat next season for the Cardinals. I'll bet it. I'd say the likely candidate is Tommy Edmond, especially if Nolan Gorman's going to be a part of this team. Uh, Tommy Edmond might be the super utility guy. You might get your wish, BK. He might become Ben Zobrist for this team. Way to go, BK. You just BKO Tommy Edmond's hope of being an everyday baseball player. Tommy Edmond would be a really good bench bat. You jerk. Like he, uh, Starting second baseman against left-handed pitching, I should clarify there, because I don't think he's a bench player, but starting second baseman against left-handed pitching where he's really good. He's been very good for his entire career. And then 
on days where you've got a righty on the mound, once that lefty comes into the game, that's when you deploy Tommy Edmond. He, he could be really good in that role. And he could still start against some righties as well. Yeah, I... I'll bet this because I, after hearing Ollie Marmol talk today on the Danny Mac show with BK, I really do believe they're going to do some sort of, I think it's going to be Edmonds clear, the clear candidate to me. I, Cause I, to me, you just cannot pull Bader out of the lineup because of his defense. We saw what the Cardinals looked like without him defensively. And he hit right-handed pitching better this year than he had in years past. So to me, Tommy Edmonds, the guy, I think they'll look to platoon him with Nolan Gorman. Maybe, maybe they'll rotate Gorman out as DH a little bit too with maybe a Juan Yapez. So that's kind of how I expected. I think Ollie Marmol kind of tipped the hand of the Cardinals offseason day when he said, yeah, we're going to utilize platoons and you're going to hit maybe one day you hit first, maybe the other day you hit eighth. So that's kind of how I look at it. It does make me wonder if they're going to get a lefty bat in the outfield. Because if they go get Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson, or somebody. Kyle Schwarber. Whoever, one of those guys. I'm not sure I want Kyle Schwarber in the outfield. But he's fine. He's fine. He could be, he's He's not very good for him. He's fine. Just tell him not to dive for any balls. Or I think climb he, the fence when the ball's behind yeah, him. Just don't do an Ozuna. Just play DH. Yeah. Uh, we, we've got that available to us next year. Just be our DH. But if you go get one of those guys that's a left-handed outfield bat, I do wonder what that would mean for Bader. Because I'm with you. His, his defense is super valuable. But if I've got Eddie Rosario available to me, maybe Dylan Carlson plays more in center field. And you do see Harrison Bader take more days off. I think Eddie Rosario priced himself out of the Cardinals after his World Series or his playoffs. Somebody of that ilk, whether it be Rosario Peterson or somebody that is the next version of Rosario Peterson, who's going to be five, seven million bucks. Would you platoon Carlson? I'm getting the splits up now. I don't know if I can't remember what his were. No, you don't. I wouldn't platoon a switch hitter. I wouldn't. I mean, he was. He was much better against, against lefties. lefties last year. Um, yeah, but you want this guy to be an everyday player. That's what you brought him, or that's what you've groomed him for. Yeah, I mean, last year against lefties, he was if dominant. I'm, if he I'm had pl- a 340 batting average, but he's he's a guy that I'm building around. I don't want to make him into a platoon bat. If yet. I'm platooning any of my outfielders, it's going to be Harrison Bader. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't even know if I can go on that because, as I said, his defense is just Yeah, but it'd be a platoon level. of maybe you start the game with somebody who's a little more offensively inclined, and then later in the game when you need defense, you bring in Harrison Bader. Yeah. And I I think it makes a lot of sense to do that, but you've got to have the right option. That's the other thing. Whoever you're bringing in better be a really good bat. It can't just be, hey, we've got a lefty bat. It can't be Lars Newtbar. You're not replacing Harrison Bader with Lars Newtbar because Lars is a left-handed bat. That can't be the route they go. You guys want to get a little saucy on a better to forget it? I don't like sauce, but go for it. Oh, loser. Love sauce. Uh, so, bet it or forget it. You if the Cardinals would. add another impact bat, a.k.a. a shortstop, we'll see Paul Goldschmidt have more ABs at the leadoff spot than anybody else on the team. And the reason I say that is because I think they would do it. Here, I'll answer my own question first. Bet it. Because I think the way that Oliver Marmol has spoken about analytics and the Cardinals kind of taking this route towards more numbers, what do, you, what's, what do the numbers say? Get... Sure, lineup construction doesn't matter. Best hitters, the most at bats. Get your most hit, best hitters, most at bats. If you had a lineup that was Paul Goldschmidt, Trevor Story, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill, Carlson, insert rest after that. I think the Cardinals would look to do it, and I think you could. If they move Paul Goldschmidt up to that second spot, and his on base was really good. You take away Tommy Evan, move him down to that sixth spot. He's a doubles guy. That helps out the bottom of the order. You put Paul Goldschmidt at the top. Home run power, kind of like we've seen in the playoffs with Schwarber hitting leadoff, gets on base at a much higher clip. I think they would do it. In that case, I'd put Tyler O'Neill as my leadoff hitter. So I have the speed on base. And then Paul Goldschmidt would be in my two hole. I'd have Nolan Arenado or Trevor Story in the three or insert name here. And then the other guy in the four. That's what I would do because as good of a base runner as Paul Goldschmidt is, the big fundy himself, 
I'd rather have Tyler O'Neill with that speed of one base hit turns from a single into the guy scoring a run. I could see either way. I, I get both of those. Yeah. I, I mean, you could even. The other thing is, I think you'll still see Edmund or Bader. I think one of those two will be the leadoff guy against um, left-handed pitching. It's against righties is really what we're talking about here. And that's where whether it be the shortstop that comes in and that changes things and it ends up being O'Neill or uh, Goldie as your leadoff hitter or whoever that lefty bat is that we're talking about. They could be your leadoff hitter, even if it's not the prototypical version of that leadoff bat. So, I, yeah, I think that we could see something like that for sure, Tanner. I, I think that's at least in play. I think that's something. These are the kinds of things that I'm excited to be able to mm, talk about. Saucy. Because in the past... Chef's kiss. These haven't been options for the Cardinals. They wouldn't have explored these. It was, hey, Tommy Edmonds fast. He hit. He hits the ball a lot. He's Man, got a Carpenter, great contact one for level. One. Well, he won't be an option this year. And so he's going to be and at the top of guy. our order. And it's just, it's very prototypical. Hey, this go, go, go. It's it's the same every day. It's static. I don't think that's going to be the case this year with the lineup. This year, it's going to be a lot more electric. Ooh, with Alex Ferrario saucy. and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. It'll cross things over with the fast lane in about 15 minutes or so. But next, there is a lesson to be learned, and it does have to do with actually going against the numbers a little bit. We'll talk about that and how it applies to the Cardinals coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. about the role of a modern manager and what you should and shouldn't do and how following the numbers for a lot of managers is how they keep their jobs. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie, there is a bit of a, a warning sign, though, from this uh, this postseason as to what you shouldn't do, Alex. And it has to do with starting pitchers. And we saw whether it be uh, Max Scherzer, or Julio Urias or Nathan Evaldi, all three looked done by the end of the CS, whether it be the ALCS for the Red Sox or the NLCS for the Dodgers, Max Scherzer couldn't even start in game six because he had dead arm. And we saw that from him in his previous start. And it had to do with him coming in in relief after that game. Alex Pedro Martinez, when the Dodgers were eliminated, had some strong criticism of the Dodgers front office for the way that they handled their starters. That front office is going to face a lot of questions. And I am sure that some of the media members are going to be digging to see how comfortable is Dave Roberts and, and what the future is going to hold for the rest of the staff if they're going to continue to do what they did because this was too good of a staff to finish the way they did. The front office and the analytics department is going to face a lot of questions. I love Pedro Martinez. They do deserve a lot of questions. And I don't know if this was analytics driven. I don't know if this was Dave Roberts saying, hey, he's my best guy and I'm going to put him in relief here. They've done that in the past with Clayton Kershaw. This was not the first time that we've seen starters deployed coming out of the bullpen. I mean, 2011, Derek Holland was coming in between starts for the Rangers. You look back at John Lackey, the way that he was pitching for the Red Sox back in 2013. Madison Baumgartner in the World Series was coming in relief in Game 7 of the 2014 World Series, and he was doing so pre prior to that, if I'm not mistaken, as well. So this is not new. We've seen this before, but it's expanding. There are more starters that are coming out of relief in the postseason now, maybe than ever before. And Alex, this is a trend. You guys know I'm I'm all for some of the modern trends. This is one I'm not behind. 
use your starters the way that they're used to being used. If you play 162 game and you've got a legit star, so we're talking Adam Wainwright, a stud frontline pitcher, why would you use him out of relief? Use him in the role that he is supposed to be used. And if you've got an elimination game, it's game five of the NLDS or game seven of the NLCS, and it's all hands on deck, I get it. But that is going to impact whatever the next series is. And you've got to know that going in. And you've got to understand that. You've got to make plans accordingly. But we saw two teams that really relied heavily on three pitchers with Evaldi, Scherzer, and Urias, and they paid the price for it. And they were sent home. Not entirely because of that, but at least in part because of the way that they deployed those specific starters. That's what always concerns me about the analytics side. And I understand it's information. It's not anything more than that. But that's what concerns me about looking at that and not going with the gut feel. Because with Wayno, Wayno's a gut feel kind of guy. If he says he's good for another inning his third time through the order and the analytics say, no, well, you shouldn't pitch him. I'm going to trust a guy who knows his body and knows his ability more than what the analytics are telling me. And maybe that is to the fault of Dave Roberts with Max Scherzer, but maybe Max Scherzer came and said, I'm going to push through it because I want to pitch right now. And then that went against them. So it's so hard to go into this and Pedro's right. You know, there's going to be more digging into that to find out what went wrong, but much like the Tampa Bay situation with Blake Snell, what was that last year where they decided to take him out because that, the third time through the order. That's different to me, though. That's taking a guy out early as opposed to this is overutilization of your pitchers. This is you. But you're still basing it off of analytics. I don't know if this was based on analytics, though. I think that's something that like Pedro accused them of that. I don't know that that is the case. I don't know what went into these decisions because my assumption would be the analytics also includes the player performance department and the player performance department would there would be flashing red lights of this is an overusage of pitchers. You should not be throwing them this often, whether it be postseason or regular season. This is going to come back to haunt you. So I don't know if this was analytics related or not. I think this very well could have been them going with who they deemed to be their best guy. This would have been like somebody mentioned it on the text line. Schilt going with Jack Flaherty instead of Alex Reyes in that spot in the ninth inning. I didn't want to use Jack Flaherty in that spot. We talked about this before the game. I I thought I I didn't love Reyes there necessarily, but I I certainly would not have gone with Jack Flaherty there either. Um, This is something that managers are having to figure out how to utilize their pitchers in the best way possible. I'm not positive that this was analytics driven. I I don't think it's quite the same thing as, as taking your man, your, your pitcher out early. Yeah. It's tough to tell. I, I don't know what, I almost thought it was analytically driven based on one of Dave Roberts' comments where he said, uh, we talked it over at the front office, we said it'd be a good idea, and we talked to Max Scherzer, and I had one vote. And and Dave Roberts said, I traditionally like starters to be starters rather than going to, like, openers and stuff like that. So I think part of that was it as well. But in terms of kind of this trend in Major League Baseball, yeah, I'm with you. You can't do it. And I can't remember who it was I heard say, I don't know if it was a former reliever or a guy that – is a relief pitcher. I think it was Trevor May. I think it was Trevor May of the Mets who was out of the playoffs. He said, I think it was on MLB Network Radio, he said, you can't ask a starter to come out of the bullpen and throw max effort when it's something he hasn't done all year long. Yeah. And, and that, I'm with you, you can do it when it's in an elimination game, all hands on deck. But the Dodgers were doing it like game three of a series, and we need to say that we want to go up 2-1 or it's 1-1 or we're trying to avoid going down 3-0. That's not the time to do it. You should have more pieces in your pen to do it. 
That way you don't burn out the starter, and that's what the Dodgers did, and I think it's a lesson to be learned across Major League Baseball moving forward. Some of that's on Dave Roberts, too. I mean, 100%. Especially when you know that you went the distance last year with Julio Urias using him as much as you used him. It kind of reminds you of what they did with Andrew Miller in Cleveland, where you just kept throwing him out there because you knew he was your best option. But a lot of that's on Dave Roberts. And look, it goes beyond pitching. He made some questionable decisions just in games. I think it was one game he had Gavin Lux playing center field where he had never played that position before. There were some moves that makes me go to the gut feel side of things and say, man, I just don't know if you can do something like that. Yeah, and I think a lot of this goes down to the depth too, right? We've talked about this with the Cardinals in the past, but what is one lesson to be learned about with the way that the postseason has been played? Well, look at the do- well, look at what the Braves have in their bullpen right now. They're super deep mm-hmm. with guys that a lot of casual baseball fans probably haven't heard of that have pitched very well for them so far this season. And the same is true on the Astros side of things. They've got a pretty darn good bullpen on that side as well. So what is the lesson to be learned? Have so many great options out of your bullpen that you don't have to go to your starters. They shouldn't be your best option in those scenarios. And then maybe your manager is less likely to do so. You're less likely to need Max Scherzer for the save. You're less likely to use Evaldi coming out of your pen because, hey, I've got these four or five other guys. There's no need for me to go to that guy in the spot. And with that being said, I thought the Cardinals perfectly had their bullpen constructed constructed heading into the postseason where you had six guys you honestly trusted. I mean, Alex Reyes maybe was on the brink of if you trust him or not, but I think he belonged in that category based on what he did in the first half and his strikeout stuff. And you have to have probably about one or two lefties in that mix that you can kind of mix and match, need a ground ball guy, whether he throws harder, does it like T.J. McFarlane. I think the Cardinals built themselves the perfect bullpen, and they got to try doing it again this year, heading into the regular season so it can carry over into the postseason. Game one of the World Series is tonight. First pitch between the Astros and the Braves coming up at 710. You'll hear that right here on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers, Donnie Fandango, Jeff Burton for a special uncensored, oh boy, live last minute blues podcast. That alone is enough, but it also adds in Je- uh, Brett Hull. It's going to be there as well. He's a blues legend. You may have heard of him this Saturday afternoon at Brett Hull's Junction House in Winsville. Jamie, Donnie and Jeff are sitting down with Brett Hull for a live conversation and a Q&A on stage. You can get there early, grab a seat, get entered to win some awesome blues giveaway. It's all there for a live and uncensored last minute blues podcast with Brett Hull. 3 o'clock on Saturday. Details available at 101ESPN.com. Speaking of former Blue Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers, he is in studio with us right now. Jamie, what's going on, man? Not much. How are we doing, guys? We are fantastic. All it's right. been a good day on the show. We've been able to talk some Blues today, which has been sorely missing from the show. Finally, Alex BK. hasn't wanted to talk about them the last few days. It's really weird, Alex. Quite I know, honestly. right? Why would hmm. the Blues guy not want to talk about Blues? It's been strange. I haven't understood you it know, at all. You know, all I've wanted to talk about, Jamie, is just Ali Marmol as the manager because I just was so excited about listening to his press conference the other day oh, it got he me great. so amped he was great on danny mac too with you guys awesome. this morning you guys uh, he, I, I think ollie ollie's got something going for him man i like it so far he is personable he's relatable um i have no idea how he's gonna be as manager no idea because i don't know how anybody could possibly know before he has managed a big league game what it's gonna look like i mean that's that's the honest to god truth but if they give him the talent that is necessary to win at a really high level and i think they're going to this offseason I don't think he's going to be the guy that messes it up. 
from everything that we've heard, and we'll see how he, how he transitions from the bench coach job for, to the manager job, but he's very detail-oriented. He is going to collaborate, and I know people are going to get super sick of hearing that word uh, over the next few months, but he's going to collaborate with all of the different departments. Oh, including God. That that a oh my God. And yes, man. I do think he is going to do a good job of bringing the Cardinals more into what we've seen from the Giants and the Astros and the Dodgers and all of the other teams that are at the forefront of where baseball is heading. Uh, It's going to frustrate some people, but if they win, I think he's going to win people win people over pretty quickly. Yeah, well, that's the main thing, right? As long as you win, doesn't matter what path you take, who's guiding the ship, just win. And I think. Everybody in Cardinal Nation that talks about it every year, like it's World Series or bust every single year. I mean, you may not be always happy with the decisions, but I think you have to be happy with the thought of the team is trying to continue to win and go further every year and bring back more championships. Jamie, I'm assuming you guys are going to get into this a little bit later on, so I don't want to get too far into it. But have you seen some of the reports about what's going on in Chicago today? Uh, uh, yeah, I've been digesting all of it, and I, we don't currently have it on there just because a lot of this broke out kind of yeah. as we're doing our wrap-up for the rundown. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see. Like, today's just, like, the tip of the iceberg, right? Like, you've got guys like Joel Quenville and Kevin Dayoff who are still currently in the NHL with other organizations. What's going to happen there? Stan Bowman. Mark now Bergevin, too. Well, Bergy, you know, not – from what I know, I haven't seen his name mentioned in the actual report yet. And Bergey said he had no uh, no idea yeah. that this was going on. So far, his name hasn't been brought out uh, on top of that. Good. So hopefully that there's nothing there. It's just, it's crazy, man. Yeah. It's uh, But, it, you know, it, it's it's sad in a way because this is the pressures of running a professional sports franchise that is in its window of opportunity to win championships at the peak of that franchise's recent history. And you got something that happens and you have people who are panicking and don't know how to handle it in the moment because they don't want to disrupt what's going on. I don't know, man. It's a, it's a mess. The reason that I brought it up is because like, I, I haven't read the report yet, so I don't want to speculate on anything that's in it, but as a player, when you're like the players that are now on the roster, most of whom were not even around mm-hmm. when all of this stuff was taking taking place. And it's already been a rough, rough start to the season for the Chicago Blackhawks. Is this the kind of thing that enters into that locker room where, I mean, your GM just steps down? Um, does this add in? I know it's it's a I, I hate using this word for something like this, but is this a distraction that could potentially change the trajectory for them, continue this trajectory of the season? I think it's going to help them, to be honest. I think it's going to, like, just cleanse it out a little bit. These guys, nobody understands this. The players and the staff, they've been going through this investigation now for quite a while. So it's been disruptive already. I think that now that they're closing the book on this and they're they're sending it out publicly, the entire report – I think it's going to, you know, yeah, there's some people that are going to come under some fire here because of the way they handled things or the way they lied about things or whatever. But once that gets, you know, taken care of, I think the players can go back out and just play. And, you know, if they, if the Blackhawks move on from their current head coach, Jeremy Culleton, just because they don't think he's doing a good job or whatever, then so be it. But 
I think this organization, in order to move forward, has to just kind of be done with this, close the book, and then start worried about hockey. The head coach one's interesting for me because they've already fans have already been calling for his job in Chicago. But on top of it, he was hired from Stan Bowman because Stan Bowman moved on it's from Quinville. Yeah, and look, the most disturbing thing I've seen so far, and it has nothing to do with this report, I'm talking strictly hockey, mm-hmm. is the other night when they had a, a big moment in the game. Jeremy Culleton takes the dry erase board and hands it to, to the, the players. players. Right. And the players are drawing up a play and whatnot. He's just standing there looking at them. Now, listen, in fairness to Jeremy Culleton, it could have been a play that they worked on the whole time. And sometimes instead of standing there and trying to draw it upside down and doing all these crazy things, you hand it over and the players know exactly what's going on. But the optics of it for me is I would rather get right down onto the side of the bench and have the guys like right there drawing it. You are the leader at that point. You don't he hand, didn't even talk to him. You don't like, hand it yeah. over. It's just that's he a just bad look. Stood, he stepped aside while the players talked, and it's mm, like at least yeah. Craig Berube's not drawing up the plan, but Craig Berube's talking to the guys while Steve Ott is drawing up the plan. Yeah, either way, you have somebody that's supposed to be leading that ship, and uh, it's not the players. Well, Jamie, what is coming up other than that from 2 to 6 today on the Fast Lane? Well, we're going to talk about Big Daddy Vladdy. You know, what do we expect from this guy here the rest of the way? The 5-0 and oh, uh, historical start from the St. Louis Blues, a, a lot about the depth. Uh, I'm going to dive into Craig Berube's use of platooning out there. I've uncovered something in the last week and a half about what mm. Chief has been doing, and uh, I'm going to dive into that because we use the word platooning all the time with baseball in certain yeah. situations and matchups and all this. Well, Craig Berube, he's ahead of the game because he's doing it already with the St. Louis Blues. I'm very interested to hear what you have to say on that. That's coming up from 2 oh, to 6. Great. We will be back to – I can't wait to talk about platoons with you tomorrow. I and nerds and hockey. Come on, Jamie. What the hell are you doing to me? Sorry, buddy. Fastlane's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Mm. Mm.